Awfully sad news coming out of uh, Turkey, of course, in the past uh, 36 hours or so. The Independence front page calls it, it was like the apocalypse. So many people waiting to be rescued. And there are very, very traumatic and sad, sad photographs making the papers today of people, hopefully, um, many, many people will be found alive in the rubble, will make a full recovery. It was a 78 um, magnitude on the Richter scale uh, by all accounts and it's the front page of many of the papers today uh, in fact a lot of the papers this morning in Ireland are talking about the students, the principal staff and students of Kolochte, Eamon Rich uh, who were there, not actually in that area of eastern Turkey, kind of slightly southeastern Turkey, but were due to go there more on that in a few minutes time but the Echo's front page this morning, students avoid Quake, Cork, Cork School visiting Turkey as disaster hits um, and they were originally due to travel to that area or at least to the area of Malatya on Sunday night but it changed their flight to Monday um, I mean talk about you know um, lucky to have changed their flight but they have they have um, uh, they, they've teamed up and you know the way schools team up with other schools overseas with a school uh, down in the earthquake zone and it's very very sad because um, you know some people down there have been in contact with with members of the school uh, saying that they've literally, their their town has been flattened and many, many uh, towns and cities flattened. Irish teens in Quake Hell, school on tour as thousands are killed. Is the front page making the sun today and there's just families buried in rubble. It's awfully sad. They figure that upwards of maybe 20,000 people could have actually lost their lives. I think the figure at the moment that's been confirmed is just under 5,000. More, more on that in a few minutes' time, I'll talk with Aaron Wolf, the principal of uh, Kloshta Eamon Rich from Turkey. Other stories making the news today. Um, these are have to do, of course, with many a false dawn. Uh, you know what I'm talking about when I mention many a false dawn. Uh, it's a it's a comment that's made regularly by Owen English in the Examiner when it comes to the convention centre or the event centre. Uh, Amy Nolan has a story in it in the Echo today, saying that uh, we may well see we may well see uh, ground being broken uh, either the second or the third quarter of this year. Now the second quarter would be June, wouldn't it? The third quarter would be October, so take your pick as to which. But it's uh, destined to start. Delayed, and the last, the you know, the last excuses for delay had to do with the design process taking longer than was originally envisaged. Now we're in for a lot of millions in this one. Um, when it's actually built, it's going to cost the state and the taxpayer a lot. But uh, again, wouldn't it be just worth it if they just got on with it and did it? So the completion of the event centre will take two years, according to the Echo, from construction commencement. And hopefully, if they started a lot of the the other construction in the area has all been totally 100% completed so this is the last bit you know the vacant plot it's enormous it just sits there so the second or third quarter I know we've heard all this before uh, but hopefully this is going to be the one I know I've even said that in the past uh, because I don't know what anniversary we're up to now I think was it two, was it February 2000 and 17, I think. Um, anyway, open to correction on that. Um, I see that um, uh, MTU had um, a, a security breach, a significant IT breach, a hacking, if you like, uh, and uh, led to all sorts of problems on campus. And that's a story that makes the echo today as well. And one of those mysterious stories um, that is still uh, unsolved is the female skeleton found on the old railway line the old Middleton railway line in January of 2021. So we've passed 
the second anniversary of that. Ralph Regal picks up on it in the Independent this morning. And the Guardian are hopeful now that special bone mineral tests may be able to solve the mystery of who this woman was. Uh, the, her skeleton remains found on the old Middleton railway line. And the Guardian believe that she was from Cork, or indeed, if not Cork, somewhere in and around the South Munster area. But there has been a two-year investigation. Uh, it's a very interesting article this morning because Ralph Regal takes a look at some of the possible theories. Uh, a number of theories are being considered, including uh, that she was uh, the focus of an illegal exhumation after a possible family feud over a grave plot or an inheritance. So that's one theory. There's another theory is that she may have died in someone else's care and that for some reason it was decided to bury her secretly before then moving the body uh, to the abandoned railway line. Now, I believe that there was a, a crucifix also found not too far from the body. I know it's even upsetting talking about it, but they have talked to a lot of people, including uh, funeral directors, graveyard caretakers in the greater East Cork area in an attempt to discover how the elderly woman's remains ended up on the railway line. And and they're specifically asked, say, for instance, the graveyard caretakers, if there was any unusual activity surrounding graves or graveyards uh, over the past five to to ten years. So still not solved, but they haven't given up on it. Uh, Sadly, we have more job worries uh, in Ireland. Dell are... Uh, jobs hell, they call it in this morning's sun, where they're saying that across the globe, 6,650 people are facing the sack from Dell or the axe, I suppose. Uh, they, they employ, and I mean, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. So 6,650 6, jobs would be 5% of the Dell workforce. Another person, that, another company that doesn't have any problems in that regard is BP. And I was telling you last week that Shell reported historically high profits, the highest they ever made for the year 2022 when they turned a profit of £32.2 billion sterling. £32.2 billion. And of course, much of that profit, of course, will be given back uh, to shareholders who have stocks and shares in Shell. But BP now have joined the illustrious group who've had their highest profit ever in history. £27.7 billion for 2022. Both of those profits, of course, recorded in a year of war. So it goes to show that companies, certainly anything to do with fuel and energy, can indeed benefit uh, through conflict. Uh, this morning, the, I also read at the weekend, incidentally, that with regards to the movement of people out of Ukraine, if you think that our issues are exclusively Irish, they are not, because it was reading in the English papers of the weekend, the Rishi Sunak is saying that people who are arriving into the UK, now these would be the equivalent to our international protection orders arriving with no documentation, arriving with no passports, nothing at all. He says people who are arriving, and many are, into the UK illegally every day will now be deported within days. They'll be turned around within within days. Um, that their, their asylum claim um, without documents, their asylum claim will be rejected and they'll be returned from wherever they flew from or came by boat or ferry, if you like. Um, very, very sad news with regards to people who have children in school when you hear that there's been a big spike in the amount of uh, teachers who are on career breaks. The figure now is at over 3,000. Uh, the Mail this morning leads with this on the front page. 3,153 um, teachers on career breaks more than ever before. So we continue... We have other issues within within health, but 
don't forget there's a big problem as well within schools con- to, with regards to shortages uh, of teaching staff and I mean it was bizarre when we heard back in the day uh, about a few months back that even Norma Foley herself the education minister is on a career break from her own uh, secondary teaching job um, so much of the career breaks may, may be a change of career I accept that but a lot of it is to take time to, to travel or, or to work overseas and keep the job open in the meantime papers also this morning talk about the amount of children who are online online, and the things that they see online and the examiner this morning says then when you look at it statistically only 3% of children are never allowed online now I suppose it graduates up in percentages then with regards to the amount of time that children are allowed online whether it's a laptop uh, whether it's on their phones or what they're surfing or what they're watching um, and how engaging they are in social media but 3% is the figure of children that actually are kept away from it by their parents and said absolutely not, not until a much later age I suppose and shoplifting makes many of the newspapers, now they do say skint mums are stealing to feed their kids and I don't doubt that that is the case Uh, but mind you the reality of it is a lot of the time when you hear of shoplifting and theft unfortunately some people who have all sorts of issues going on in their lives including addictions, the misfortunes and others then have numerous previous convictions behind them but the sun or the star this morning is saying that mothers are shoplifting to feed their kids as official crime figures show the theft from shops has soared 100% in a year and they give some examples then in different courts around the country one of a woman who stole 180 euro worth of food and clothing from her local Marks and Spencer and said it was literally to feed and clothe her children. And the papers this morning, then I probably should have mentioned this when I was talking about health, uh, is an issue at Cork Mercy uh, University Hospital, the MUH. Apparently some guy allegedly smashed his way through one of the doors. Didn't get access to the patient care area or to any of the wards, thankfully. And there was no interaction like there was in the past between him uh, and staff. Uh, There was some months back uh, at the front door of the Mercy But this incident was about three o'clock in the morning, Friday morning. Apparently he used a fire extinguisher to smash through a locked fire door and got into the the building, was spotted by security staff and contacted the guardie and the guardie sorted the issue. Listen, if you're not sorting your insurance, whether it's home insurance, whether it's car insurance, then, you know, you're going to be done out of about 300 euros, certainly with regards to car insurance. If you're not shopping around, they call it, they call it misplaced loyalty, staying with the shame insurance company and just renewing your policy or not checking in with the broker, which is a great idea because the broker then will go and check uh, other insurance companies and get you a cheaper premium. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a bad thing to be loyal to the company that you're with when it comes up to renewal. You need to shop around and you could find, and I've spoken to people on the panel, I remember talking six months ago with somebody on the air who was quoted an insane amount of money for renewal. It ran to thousands um, and got it checked elsewhere and got it dropped by thousands. So it can be not just hundreds, but thousands. And spoiler alert, no, there won't be any uh, spoiler. I will not talk about the final episode of Happy Valley in any way that will spoil it for you. Um, because a lot of people haven't seen it through yet. I get that and I get into trouble. It was incredibly powerful, though, uh, Series 3 and the finale. Won't say anything about it, apart from the fact we all know how brilliant Sarah Lancashire is as an actress uh, or are we only allowed to say actor now? But my God, Jamie Norton's or James Norton's performance in Happy Valley was just 
off the charts. Incredible. People aren't talking enough about how powerful an actor he is, or at least was in Happy Valley. So all of the papers are talking about it all weekend long. Won't say anything about it, apart from the fact that seven and a half million people uh, watched it on the BBC. That doesn't include Ireland because they wouldn't have the stats for here. It was the biggest drama hit since the conclusion of Line of Duty. And that was almost two years ago. And it's incredibly powerful, Series 3. Mind you, they are saying there won't be another one. The writer, Sally Wainwright, says uh, that's it. And indeed, even Sarah Lancashire says there won't be a Series 4. But there could be a spin-off. Better not say any more than that, because otherwise I'll be accused of uh, spoiling the finale. But one of the interesting things about it, without spending too long on the story, is they're saying that it, it could be a good sign for people who only watch box sets, right? You know, years ago, you had to wait every single week. You might have to wait for the next Sunday episode and the Sunday episode after that. And they're saying that Happy Valley was exactly like that. They just dropped episode by episode once a week, as opposed to, say, Netflix, which just downloads everything in one go. So they're saying that this actually could be good for weekly viewing, you know, going back for next week's instalment. Um, I don't know that that's altogether 100% true, because a lot of people, including me, I wait until all of the show has dropped, um, and I don't watch it, and I don't read the newspaper stories on it or the spoilers. And then when all of the episodes are there, I sit down and watch them, or we sit down and watch them. Maybe you're like me. Anyway, your thoughts on that? Text 0868104106. And the saying that a marriage um, that isn't a happy marriage is still a healthy marriage. Tell that to someone who's stuck in a shock and bad marriage for all sorts of different reasons. But apparently, even an unhappy marriage is better than being alone, certainly for your health and probably only. Would you want to live longer in, a, in an abusive marriage, though, or a violent marriage? The Times UK this morning is saying that um, with regards to heart disease and diabetes, being married, even unhappily, is better for your health. Um, and I, I should have mentioned this when I was talking about television, Tommy Tiernan. Um, I, I, I couldn't understand what all the fuss was over the weekend because I couldn't find out what question that he asked that was said to be rude and unfair. He had two of the uh, stars of Fair City, Brian Murray and Una Crawford on the show, Una Crawford or Brian. And eventually this morning I find out why was everybody going on about it and why was everybody so so, so buzzardly shocked about a question. Apparently he asked them, he's a comedian now, bear in mind. It's the kind of thing that Tommy Tiernan does. The question he asked them was, what went wrong in your careers that you ended up in Fair City? I'm told it didn't take a tap out of the two guests. But people on social media got all up in a tizzy about it. Um, Somebody saying it was a disgrace putting them both down for working in a soap. I'm really furious. I literally can't believe his snobbism and his ignorance. Don't people get upset? And don't people get annoyed about everything these days? Um, And with, with regards to emotions... Just finally for now, I'll come back to more later on this morning. There's some research out this morning with regards to vegans, people who are either vegan or vegetarian. But for this uh, survey, we're talking about vegans. So chocolate and roast chicken are the foods that vegans pine for the most. There are others besides that, besides chocolate and either the taste or the smell of roast chicken. Bacon sarnies, cheese toasties, a full fry-up, Toast with real butter, because vegans won't do the whole real butter thing, along with burgers, ice cream, kebabs and garlic bread. Um, They won't touch any of that, apparently, but they are the things that they yearn the most. But chocolate, because of the dairy content, and roast chicken, because of the meat content. 
Um, I have to wonder, are, you know, it begs the question and read that. Are vegans happy? You know, if you're a vegan, are, are you a happy vegan? Is there anything you miss? The chocolate, the roast chicken, the bacon sandwiches, the cheese toasties. Uh, or do some vegans spend their entire lives just being sad or missing meat? Your thoughts, please. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for interactive speech program at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Is that a coach? Red FM. Okay, I'm going to go straight to the phone lines or at least WhatsApp following the uh, earthquake in uh, Turkey and the death toll continuing to rise. It's absolutely tragically sad. And the papers this morning, rightly so, talk about a Cork connection uh, to the story. Thankfully, all those from Kaloshte, Eamon Reish are safe um, and well and their families must have been very worried for a period of time. But I want to go live to Turkey to speak with Principal Aaron Wolf who joins me by WhatsApp. Aaron, good morning. Neil, good morning. How are you? Good afternoon, rather. <laughs> we're three hours ahead here. How are you? We're all very well here, but how are you guys? We are great. I mean, we're just, thank God, we had such a narrow um, a narrow escape because, for those that don't know the story, we were flying from Dublin to Istanbul on Sunday and our original plans were to fly then directly to Malata. Um, because an earlier flight, another Erasmus was delayed, we changed our plans and we said we had the flight to Monday, Monday afternoon instead. So as a result, we stayed in Istanbul overnight Sunday night when the earthquake struck. Um, so we, re- we really dodged it because we would have been there exactly where we were going um, to the partner school. We had a text from one of the students saying my town has literally disappeared. So yesterday, I think we were all very, very rattled. I mean, we heard about the earthquake at about six o'clock in the morning here. So that was three o'clock in Ireland. So we, we told our students they couldn't even get on to their parents um, because obviously it was the middle of the night in Ireland. But um, yeah, we, we're just so, so did lucky. did parents back on the uh, side think for a period of time that you guys were actually in the area of Malacha? No, no, because because we were three, because we we're three hours ahead, we we were kind of waiting for the parents to kind of you know, for eight o'clock in the morning to come say okay, start ringing your parents to let them know to make sure everyone knows. We put up a post on Facebook just making sure everyone knew we we hadn't got to Malata because obviously that was our worry. And what was, we, um, again, uh, what was the delay again, Aaron? What was the delay? Well, it wasn't. Point? It wasn't. It was. It, there was a delay in another. We we did an Erasmus there just before Christmas in Germany, and uh, we missed our connecting flight, and because of that. We looked at the Turkish flight and said, oh, the gap there isn't long enough. We could miss it. So we will change it and move it back. But had we did so, we didn't miss a flight. We, we changed the flight. Um, but that's because we missed another flight. So back then in Germany, when we were gutted. We were thinking now, do you know what happened for a reason? Because if we weren't delayed in Germany, we would have got a connecting flight oh straight away God, from Istanbul, oh six o'clock. We would have got straight on that flight to Malata. And like the, the not being overly dramatic, what would have happened if we would have arrived? Our five students would have gone off to live with Turkish families all over that area. And we were just thinking, my God, how on earth would we have got them all back together? Mother of God, that was uh, so, so close to being in the wrong place. Unfortunately, many people yeah. were. There were two earthquakes. One's a 7.8 and the other was a 7.5. And there's been 
awful loss of life, hasn't there? There's there, there's been earthquakes overnight. There's been another one, and what I suppose people back in Ireland maybe don't realise how cold it is here. Um, I have one of my students here, Sophia, and she's calling me out the temperatures like it's snowing here in Istanbul. Um, like it's two degrees here in Malat at the moment. It's minus one, but at night it got to minus six. And the Turkish law is that they're not allowed to go back into their homes. So they're all outside in minus six degrees overnight. And, and they're not allowed back in their home because of the tremors. So, and, and, and without wanting to over upset anybody, there's an awful lot of people trapped, or as they're saying this morning, entombed where they slept uh, because it was an overnight, wasn't it? It was overnight, yeah. It happened maybe about three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, um, Turkish time. God but yeah, like we, we've been on to the, the, the staff and the school we were going to, Yasmin is our contact teacher. We haven't heard from her now for maybe 12 hours because she's joined the rescue teams. And they're out, they're out digging, looking for their family members. And we've been on to the students. Like with the Erasmus, you build up a very good relationship with the other students and with the teachers. And so our, our students were texting. Some of them haven't got through to the families they were meant to be staying with. So we don't know, is are it, they okay? Is, that, is all and, that area on a fault line? I think it probably uh, is. It is, it is, it is on a fault line. Um, it, that whole area is on a fault line. Um, so Malata is about, it's 200 kilometers from the epicenter. And even though, it's you know, so we close. think got 200 kilometers, it's no. huge. It's it, it isn't. It, it, it's it's too close. Like the, the the text we got from one of the, the girls is saying the town has disappeared, and she sent us photographs directly from her way to school, and the place is flattened, and there's just mountains of buildings where the, the, everyone is just standing on these buildings trying to shift through the rubble. So clearly, where it you've been, there has been it. substantial loss of life. Do you think where you should have been? Oh, there's huge loss of life. Yeah, she like the, the students told us directly. So many people have died. So many people have died. And what's the reaction of and the like students self- been? What's the reaction of your students to all of this? Oh, we're all in. We're sat here. There's two of them sat with me at the moment, Jack and Sophia. We're, we're in the reception of this hotel. We're all stunned. Like yesterday, we couldn't believe what we had missed. Um, they, like over, they weren't upset. Because we, we did say, like, we try and go home. And they were saying, oh, um, we've come up. We, like, it took us 24 hours to get here. Mm. And then we're saying, God, we'll fly straight back. Now, it proved in the end too expensive to fly home. Mm. Uh, we looked and said, okay, it's going to be cheaper to get a hotel. But the students, they're grand, but they got rattled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then yeah. again, um, they're, they're here together as friends. They're... It's, it's still it's still, like they are in shock there's seen, no there's no question about we've, it we've seen much of the video footage coming back from the news channels of course you're looking at apartment blocks and people's homes as you say office blocks collapsing uh, hospitals government buildings schools um, you know it happened it happened overnight so there would have been nobody in those schools but they were at home sleeping in their beds it's beyond tragic when you hear that the death toll is possibly going to continue to climb Oh, it's going to have to, like we are hearing here in Istanbul about how some hospitals have been deserted, you know, and people are just left in the hospitals on their own. Desperate, desperate stories. Um, but then what's weird is it's kind of business as usual in Istanbul. Um, you are far away and it's still the shops are open, everything is carrying on, obviously the news feeds are going, but it looks like business as usual here. You know, you wouldn't imagine anything else has happened. Yeah, and, and, and I know that there was another very bad quake back in, 2000, in 1999 when 17,000 people died in a 7.6 on the Richter scale quake um, so this, this this fault line clearly runs right through Turkey what, what, what's the what's the do you, do you have any updates on, on the on the rescue as I mean obviously all of the different services would be involved all over the areas of Turkey that have been hit but I'd imagine an awful lot of civilians are also helping are they? 
Oh, they are. Like we said, we know all the teachers and the parents that we were going to see. They're all helping with the rescue operations. But we actually haven't heard from anyone now in about 12 hours, whether it's to do. We're only able to use WhatsApp, so maybe WhatsApp is down. Or they're all just too busy, obviously, to be to be texting us. But we had a lot of contact with them yesterday morning. Um, and they at that point, they were saying they are joining the rescue teams and they're putting out fires. And it was surreal. These are people we, we, we know, we've met, we, uh, we've met Jasmine in person, we've spoke to the students online. It is just bizarre to think. Do you think there could have been we, loss of been life there. with amongst, amongst the students of your, of your partner school well, in Malaysia? Well, they, are, they, have a thousand, they have a thousand students in that school. So, you know, that's, I don't know, if you, it's, 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 it's grim to think about that, but there are a thousand students in our partner school. Um, you'd hope you'd hope and you'd pray that they've escaped tragedy but yeah. it's hard to think how okay. could a thousand people escape unbelievable it really yeah. is what's the I know you're under pressure I'll let you go what's the plan now because clearly whatever you had planned won't be happening what do you intend to do you and the students well this is this is the problem so yesterday we we were only staying one night in Istanbul so what we had to do was go find a hotel so we went around the hotels with the students we did a bit of haggling we got into a hotel all eight of us 2,500 we'll, we'll do a bit of fundraising when we get home to pay off that bill we're trying to get the students spending money now and today we'll go to the Blue Mosque but it, it's really cold and it's snowing and it, it's 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 you know and we're, I think a lot a lot of us were awake since half six because you know they pr- they 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 blared the prayers over their intercoms in mm. the streets, mm. and it's very hard to sleep through those. So we're all we're all quite tired. But look, we're it, it's an unexpected trip to Istanbul. We're going to make the most of it. I said we're going to go to the Blue Mosque today, mm. and um, those students alter- there we're, we're in good form. An alternative it still beats being in school. An, it, well, I suppose yeah. An alternative <laughs> itinerary will have to be planned. But just on just on the subject of the cold, did you guys pack knowing that it was going to be that? cold I assume it did we did we, yeah. we did we did yeah we did so I sat here in my ski pants and all <laughs> so the rest there isn't any <laughs> issues being caught with the wrong clothing for the climate that's there no that's good no absolutely not no thank god okay. yeah okay. thank god listen thank you so much for the update Aaron stay safe and our thoughts are with you uh, and all of those who have uh, lost a loved one to the earthquakes in, in, yeah. in Turkey thank you so much thanks very much Neil god bless bye all the best text 0868104106 back after the break <laughs> To Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. I was reporting last week on the inquest into the death of uh, the very sad case into the death of uh, a young man, young dad, described in the inquest as being a loving father, a joker, a talented soccer player uh, who uh, sadly passed away at the age of 29, Andrew Gurns at uh, um, Cork Prison. And the inquest was last week and there was, uh, you know, harrowing. Uh, photographs of his family going in to have to sit and listen through the inquest and I suppose to relive the distressing uh, circumstances that led to their loved ones uh, passing away and amongst them was Evan Gerns, Andrew's brother and he joins me by phone. Uh, Evan, good morning. Morning, Neil, how are you? Aaron Granby, how are you coping at all? Did the, in- did the inquest help in, in any way um, to yeah. deal with the death of your brother? Yeah, there's you know a bit of closure, you know, for for me, my mum, my sister, his two kids. Um, but it was like he died last week, you know, reliving it all again. You know, hearing, hearing it, and calling. We didn't know that he was calling my mum in the cell, shouting in the cells, and prison officers putting their ears up to the door, and you know, that was on the Sunday night before before he died on the Monday. Yeah, October twenty twenty. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. You know, like. 
We got an opportunity to to look at Andrew's short life. Former engineer, obviously dad to two. Um, he had a he had a bad accident, did he? A car accident, and you, uh, you can trace yeah, you can trace his problems back to trying to cope with horrific pain, wasn't it, Evan? Yeah, he, he got a, was in a car accident in 2016, um, and he got prescribed um, benzo. Benzos, they're known as, that's what I know them as. Benzodiazepines, to cope with the pain, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he got addicted to them, and then his life just started unraveling from there and just led to to, to other drugs. Isn't it awfully tragic? It's just awful. Yeah. You know, yeah. it really and truly is. And then, as, as as they were saying, at his lowest ebb then, he, he's he's in Cork Prison, and what, what what's your understanding of, of those days and hours Preceding his um, passing, because so he, he was checked second. numerous times, I believe. Well, Go ahead. yeah. Well, on the twenty second of September, he was at a dental appointment with my mother. My mother received received a phone call, so Andrew was was going in for for not turning up to court, um, uh, on a committal warrant. Uh, on the twenty second of September, he my he had my mum had him at the dentist, and uh, the guards rang um, and said they were looking for Andrew and said we'll meet him at. Um, my nan's home, so in the in Model Farm Road, um, and when 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 we met the guards, um, and Andrew just put out his hand to take me, and my mum starts crying because he's in a very bad place. To the guards, can you tell him about? Um, we now know that wasn't passed over. Um, he was uh, put on a drug called Seracil, which is an antipsychotic drug for just three days. He was in there, so was he? he was. Lot. I think he was hallucinating the misfortune, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, more so to the end of the, the um, like the Saturday, going into the Saturday, the Sunday, and and then the Monday. Um, but it, he was up there. But they took him off the anti-psychotic drug, anti-psychotic drug, and it just started unraveling. And he started hallucinating. Um, he, he was meant to be put on a methadone program. Um, but on, in his committal interview, there was mistakes from the get-go in the committal process. Um, a glitch in the IT system, um, which uh, something entered and that shouldn't have entered. And but, but he, he, he didn't go in there having been assessed as a high risk and arrival, did he? No, oh, no, right. yeah, yeah. no. Um, which which should have been. But uh, and the Sunday and the Monday was the Sunday night. Um, he didn't sleep at all, as we know. Um, he was up all night screaming and. Um, crying out, pretending he thought fifty people were outside his cell, trying to get in and uh, attack him. Um, but the, the thirteen checks from when my mother called on the uh, at around twelve fifteen, um, some of them checks, eleven of them checks were one to two seconds through the, 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 the peephole or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. why and was your why did your mam call? Was was she concerned? Um, he rang Andrew. Rang he, you get a six minute call. He rang her about twelve fifteen on the Monday. Uh, the day he done, um, and he was he was saying he was down. He was like he was. Um, he was saying his partner, his ex partner, was up in the cell um, with him, which we which she didn't believe, and she was just agreeing. But she never heard him like this. He was down in Blackpool, and he got slashed in the face, and he went up to to Mayfield for a cup of tea. Like yeah. he wasn't making any sense. No sense. So she obviously she was very alarmed. Did she? Oh, she couldn't wait to get him off the phone and. She she just said uh, she rang back. She dialed the prison straight. She got through to a nurse, and the nurse says uh, we're aware of the situation and we'll keep a closer eye on him. 
and that led to those those checks, short and all as they were. I think that one stage it was a doctor's visit, I believe. Was that right? Yeah, yeah, there was a doctor visit that uh, one minute and 55 seconds lasted, please, as we've seen on the CCTV. Have you seen CCTV footage? Yes, in the coroner's court, yeah. Of people walking to check through the door, is it? Yeah. yeah. Thir- 13 yeah, of them? 13 of them, yeah. Um, would they have been aware in the prison that there had been a previous suicide attempt? Yes, because it, it slipped into his, even though he went in saying he was, he, uh, the nurse asked him, was he, was, was he okay and was he, uh, was he not going to self-harm? He said no, but it's, it, it, the glitch in the system is that it, it, his 2018 committal, it slipped into it. So all the answers came up from 2018 into the system and it came up on his committal records, which I obtained under the Freedom of Information Act after Andrew died um, and we, it came up and it says a previous suicide attempt. So on on that day, um, because I know that at the inquest you believe that if the checks had been more thorough um, and more extensive that he I would moved. be alive today. Yeah, if he was moved into a special observation cell, yeah. And he, he was in a cell on his own? No, but they obviously knew there was something wrong. Why would they do the 13 checks, you know? And what and, and what do you understand happened um, after the final check? I mean... It, it, uh, the final check was at 4, uh, 4.29. Um, and I think we found at uh, 4, 4, uh, 4.51. So like oh, just over 20 minutes later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, and and I hate I hate saying this, but you know we we did hear in the inquest that returned a verdict of suicide due to cardiac arrest due to suspension by ligature. Um, yeah. How how were the family informed of that tragic news? Um, Andrew's ex partner was uh, received a call from the governor of prison, um, and she rang my mum. My mum, I was actually. I was actually the first to the hospital and um, there was no one there. I was actually on my way home from work and my aunt said, go straight to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and there was, uh, they had no Andrew Gearns there. I said, my mum, I said, are you sure he's coming here and not to the mercy? Um, and uh, as I was out on the phone to her, I seen the ambulance being escorted in um, and I seen him coming out of the ambulance and they were still, they were still pumping. Your brother? Yeah, into resus and um, he was in resus for a few days and then down into ICU. Um, then the difficult decision of uh, turning off the machine and then he lasted five days after that. And which we were, it was nice we were able to say goodbye, you know. But such a young age. Yeah, very young, twenty nine. And to be caught in such a tragic trap following that car accident, then developing, uh, you know. Um, an addiction because of the pain medication that he was on and then chasing that then, you know, heroin, buying methadone yeah. um, and, and, and and clearly all sorts of other issues in his life just spiralled out of control. Yeah, losing his job and, you know, that comes with it, you know. He's an engineer, wasn't he? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about him. Was he your older brother or younger brother? Older brother, Andrew was, tw- Andrew's, Andrew was 29 at the time. I'm the middle and younger sister, Gemma. Um, he was a joker, you know. He was, he was my man, brown eyed boy, you know. He was, he was spoiled, and they just had a really good bond. 
Um, if we wanted anything, we'd have to ask myself and Gemma. Would have to ask Andrew to ask Mum to get us, you know. Um, but he he was a talented soccer player growing up. Um, growing up, he got tried for Liverpool, and uh, he, when he was young, he was saying, "Mum, we're going to live in a big mansion now." And you know, you know, you know the way he did his own. Um, he was a lovely father to his two kids. He was grand around the house painting and was a good painter, and you know. Oh my God, it's just so tragic and even made worse than you paint such a beautiful tribute to your brother. And he had a car accident and was it, was it, was it back damaged or, or what was it, just chronic yeah, pain? his back, his chronic pain in his back, um, uh, a car in the back, up, up, up into the back room and since then he, it's just, when he was in hospital and then he, uh, he got the doctor and they prescribed him and um, benzo. So he had four years of chronic pain. Yeah. And he was chasing anything that would relieve that pain. Yeah, anything else. And what's been learned from this, um, you know, after the inquest? Because you said that his life could have been saved if his medical history was properly checked, if he'd been assigned a special observation cell rather than a regular cell, in spite of the 13 short checks and what have you. What, what will be learned? Um, well, you see, the coroner has no powers to to enforce these. So, what 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 we want now is someone from the government to give us a call and make sure these deaths. We now know from a case in 2019, they know about this handover from the guards to prison officer that 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 was recommended, and it still hasn't been put in place. That that every uh, piece of information has to be passed on in the handover. Yeah. And that was recommended in 2019 in a case here in the coroner's court, which was brought up, and it still hasn't been put in place. So that would um, be medics to guardie, guardie yeah. to prison staff at committal. Yeah, and and in, this this happened in 2020. They know about the glitch in the system since 2020, and it still hasn't been fixed. No one from the IT department, from the prison service, hasn't fixed this glitch. A glitch in the prison IT system, which automatically enters information from, say, for instance, you know, the, the history of the, the person who has been committed or, you know, previous prison visits um, and, and all, of, all of, say, for instance, your brother's medical files. Yeah. And it still hasn't been fixed. They know about it. Like, that's going to cost lives. Like, can't, can't do that. Let's imagine that happened in the hospital. That the, that the the stuff didn't that their past medical history didn't come up come up for say you went into A&E and it didn't come up like it's people are going to be lives going to cost young men and women around the country lives like if they don't act on this straight away. You, you, you're um, you're right with regards to other lives being lost and while the others that I'm going to refer to have all their own tragic stories and aren't connected to our conversation. Four prisoners have died behind bars in Ireland so far this year. 24 prisoners passed away behind bars last year. And since um, 2012, 187 prisoners have died in Irish prisons. They're shocking figures, aren't they? Yeah. It, and um, and the, the, the look, they're, they're professionals, they're, they're clinical practitioners, and they have a duty of care. Um, and all we wanted was a medical review of the whole, well, of Cork prison, but the entire prison. But it's up to the government now, and if any more lives are lost with this recommendation, it's on them and no one else. 
It's very sad, such a tragic loss to a young man who was so loved and had all to live for. And he sounds like a fabulous young man and a great brother and son um, and a great dad, incidentally. Let's not, let's not forget his, his two children who must be beyond heartbroken. Um, yeah. uh, Evan, thank you so much for taking the call this morning and our thoughts are with all of the family. Thank you, Lee. Thank all the best for now. Take care. Yeah, it's so tragic. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We're back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Can I just go back to uh, the Tommy Tiernan show and uh, two shows that are being watched big time on RTE these days, I would say. One, Fair City, and it always has been. Many, many people love it. And the other is Tommy Tiernan's show, his Saturday night show, because he's forever, um, you know, let me put it like this, you know, causing ripples uh, to get a reaction. One of them, of course, was when he had two of the members of the cast of Fair City in and said, what went wrong in your careers that you ended up in Fair City? Bear in mind, he does those kind of things and drops those kind of grenades just to get a reaction. But it wasn't the only issue of the show, which incidentally I did not see. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Was Thanks it, for ringing me. Yeah, no, so. Was there another part of the same show? Yes. Okay. All right. And and what part did you take exception to, or indeed, you know, what uh, what has made you annoyed? Well, personally, I don't look at his show at the best of times because I wouldn't be a fan. I was just flicking through the channels, and I lost my own father twenty three years ago to Alzheimer's disease. But that's outside the point. He <clears throat> he was going to arm at the interview, and he asked Brian Murray. I have not word for word now, but he asked him, is he nervous about what's coming down the line? What's With regards to diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Can I just play that clip if you don't mind? It's only about 35 seconds. Have a One. listen to the piece that you're referring to. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a scary thing. And, like, it's scary because you know what the future holds, really. Um, and it's okay. We laugh about it as well. Do you, do you ever get annoyed at not remembering stuff? No. Not really. He's stoned or something. <laughs> no, not really. It's just, you see, I, I've never... Do you get annoyed when he doesn't remember stuff? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do sometimes. Yes. Like when he's asked me for the tenth time, <laughs> you know, yeah, I want to say, you know, you've asked me already. Yeah, okay. So what upsets you about that? Is that, it- that remark, are you stoned? I thought it was absolutely horrendous. I thought it was horrendous to ask that man that question. As it makes, it's just mocking or making a joke out of Alzheimer's. I saw my father to suffer with Alzheimer's disease for 11 years. My God, I will never forget it. But the way he, he gives me the impression he premeditates the question. He looked at him directly. Are you stoned to a man that's three and a half years into an Alzheimer's um, journey? I absolutely, I'm sickened and I'm still very upset. And tell me, can you describe Brian Murray's re- can you describe Brian Murray's reaction to the question? Well, look, Brian Murray t- came across to me. God bless him. <sighs> sure, maybe he he was flippant. I don't know how he came back to him. Uh, he should not have asked that man that question. I was very. I, I'm still very upset about it. I cried my eyes out here on my own Saturday night to think that a television presenter could ask ask that question. Yeah. God yeah. almighty, what is wrong with him? I am ringing RTE complaints department this morning. I've already made up my mind since Saturday night what I'm doing because yeah. I think he needs to be stopped. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Neil, not the fact that my own father had it and I saw what he suffered. It was horrendous. To look at him with that stare he has and he just said, are you stoned? My good God, people are giving out because he said, have you actually come down to the level you're in first city? This, to me, 
think that was this is worse. Maybe, yeah, I mean, I, I I missed that one, and clearly, yeah. having gone through it with your dad for a long period of time, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that no. the, I'm sure that the 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 emotions that somebody's suffering would probably be frightened, yeah. panicked, worried. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. well, outside of that, I think he should not not have asked that question. Are are you stoned? Brian Murray to me is a lovely man, and I say a very very well educated man. Like he was flipping. Nah, he said, you know, sure. Look, God bless him. You know, he's three and a half years into it. But I did think that Una was getting a little bit agitated at, at that point. Una Crawford O'Brien, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, she was, yeah. But I'll tell you here and now, Neil, and I listen to your show every morning, and you're a very fair man, and I wouldn't miss it for the world. I wasn't aware of that um, part of the <laughs> and show. I actually was talking to my sister in Longford last night, and she's a huge fan of Tommy Tiernan, and I mean... And she missed it, and she couldn't actually believe it. So she was crying on the phone last night when I told her what was said. Mm. So he has bloody well upset a lot of people. Mm. And there's a lot of people out there that have family with Alzheimer's. He's upset me. Mm. He's upset me. Would you accept that it's probably not for everybody, that show? It shouldn't be for anybody because he's a bloody comedian and he should keep it there because he doesn't know how to deal with the public. That there are some areas that aren't... Yes, and I'll say the final word. I live here in Mayfield, and Roy Keane was on there a couple of weeks ago. And you know what, Neil? I think the shows are pre-recorded, I don't know. And I sat back. I'm not a fan of Tommy Tiernan, never was, and most certainly never will be. And you know what? I just said fair juice to you, Roy. You were more than able for that. He was made, he was was very much able for Yeah, no, they are are pre-recorded, incidentally, in case you think it might be. So upset, and I was very upset. I'm, I'm still upset today. I t- and I'm ringing RTE, the complaints department now. As soon as I put the phone down from you, I think it's terrible. Look at all the thousands of families in Ireland. You had a lot of crosses helping. to bear, Susan, with your dad, Alzheimer's for twenty, you know, over yes. twenty odd years ago, and your misfortunate husband, husband to motor neuron. Motor neuron disease ten years ago. Now, anyone with a brain disorder, God bless them and save them. I don't think half of them should be put on interviews on television anyway. Yeah. But he was a lovely, lovely man, and he came across lovely. But are you stoned? And he has that stare that I never saw in anybody else, and he looked at him directly. Are you stoned? And those glasses he's wearing, as bad as he was before he put them on, he's a million times worse with well, them on him. Well, you know, you can make a complaint, and there are channels there to oh, be I'm heard. Going to. Right. Oh, I am going to. Need. Okay. I rang RT yesterday, and they told me the complaints department is open this morning at 10 o'clock, yeah. and I am going to do it, because I, I wouldn't think I'm the only one in Cork here this morning that's upset well people seem to be more upset for the fact that them two actors are on Fair City yeah then, I don't uh, look at Fair City I do not what you would it. regard being the mocking of somebody with Alzheimer's mocking will you let me know how you get on oh yeah I'm going ringing there now in about 20 minutes alright Susan stay and in touch thanks I love your show thanks I listen so much. every morning thank you thank you thank look you after yourself actually Bye-bye. on the subject of Brian Murray just finally uh, he's an incredible acting talent he's an incredible Irish acting talent and I recall years and years ago one of his mm-hmm. finest performances would have been in um, the I have to give them their due. They did Strumpet City, the James Plunkett novel. Well, it's a novel, it's a historical novel. So well when they did Strumpet City. And Brian Murray starred in it and was incredible in it, just like the rest of the cast. If you haven't seen it, you're in for a treat if you can track it down. Strumpet City. Your thoughts on that and what Susan has to say? Text 0868104106. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. 
Text the Neil Prendeville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Yeah, people continue to send me photographs of uh, potholes. I've never seen our roads and the condition of our roads so bad. It isn't just potholes and craters and all sorts of things like that and weather-related and rain-related. A lot of it is to do with just bad and shoddy workmanship. You know, the way the potholes are filled with tarmac and before long they're out again. Or the trenches or the channels or the sunken manholes and everything. And I was asking the question, how many people have actually taken on city council or county council to get repair work paid for, whether it's a rim or a tire or both? Uh, one of the more huge ones I've seen is uh, another photograph that was sent to me over the weekend. A huge pothole at Cars Hill, where two lanes merge into one. I know of one person who definitely punctured a tire and had to be towed as a consequence. There have been numerous others pulled in fixing flat tires and also taking pictures of this particular pothole. It's in the middle of the two lanes, so it's impossible to avoid. And then add in the people who overtake a full line of traffic up that hill. And this is a huge pothole. It really and truly is. Sometimes the photographs don't do justice to the scale of it, you know, certainly with a a photograph from a a mobile phone or a a smartphone. And, you know, don't students have an awful lot to put up with all the same? We're talking about students and the very near miss, what could have been a tragedy for the Cork students in, in Turkey. But I was contacted last week um, by a short text that said, my daughter, actually it was on my Instagram page, it was shared with me on my own Instagram page. She says, my daughter has her Debs in August. She's told me that the rooms were booked out for the Debs. So I went on to booking.com and I also rang the hotel. They are charging €299 Euro for one night. Uh, two people, no breakfast included. So, you know... Room for two people, one night in uh, the Clayton Silver Springs, €299. Seriously, she says, when my other daughter had her Debs there about six years ago, it was €140 per night with breakfast rolls in the morning. Uh, To do this to your own is a joke, and to think the Clayton Silver Springs would do this to them. I told her I'd come and collect her instead of paying €299 for five or six hours of sleep in a hotel room. Um, And it does seem like an awful lot of money. I don't know, do I have the the actual date? I think she may have come back and given me the date of it as to whether it was midweek or whether it was the weekend, but should it really matter? Um, We actually checked some of the prices um, just to double-check that what she's saying was was accurate. And um, we, we found no availability at all for that night, the night of the Debs, on Booking.com or else even on the Clayton Silver Springs website. And the same hotel one week before the Debs is 199 and the same hotel a week after the Debs is 199 but on the night of the Debs, it's 200 and 99. So you can make up your own mind on that. We then priced other Cork City hotels on the very same night as the Debs, the 299 euro a night Debs Hotel. And jury's in on the same night, 170. The address, formerly the Ambassador, 175. The Metropole, 180. And the highest, uh, we just did a quick check, the, the Imperial was coming in at 213. So still very far short of 299 euro for one night, for one bedroom on the night of the Debs, 299. So many people suggesting um, that uh, it's put up because of demand. And, and that's what hotels do. Don't get me wrong, we know that they do. It's all about supply and demand and they know in advance what are going to be busy nights or pinch points. See it all the time with big gigs. You'll see it for a lot of the marquee gigs, you know, stuff like that. You'll see it for uh, a lot of stuff happening in Dublin or what have you. Um, Carol says, 
Why can't a bunch of parents come together and arrange a bus to collect and drop the kids home? Since when, anyway, do 17-year-olds stay in a hotel on Deb's night? I must be getting old or what? Sarah reminds us that this is called yield management. When hotels do this, airlines do it, restaurants do it, coaches, trains, everyone. Yes, Irish Rail do it all of the time, depending on how soon before your train trip you actually book it. How else do you expect hotels to cover the cost of all of the free upgrades and the bottles of wine or the chocolates that you look for, but you're not willing to pay for when you're booking your special occasion? Come on, Sarah, come on. I accept that it's yield management, but is it right that people who can least afford it and, uh, you know, students can't unless their parents are paying it for them. But then again, one of the repeat questions that keep coming up is, why are they staying in a hotel? Why aren't they being picked up? Why aren't they going home? Why aren't they going bowling in the Coliseum as they usually do? Or walking around the streets and traipsing around the streets um, with their pals, which is fine, as long as they're safe, and going for an early breakfast. Um, what happened to breakfast up by the airport or a chicken roll at Circle K in your guna with his jacket over your shoulders. Oh, it's so romantic. There's lots more like that. Text 0868104106. We'll come back to them after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. First of all, Natasha, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How my are my doing? sincere apologies. I, I didn't know you were under so much pressure. I'd have spoken to you before <laughs> the outbreak. Right, my, uh, for me I won't keep you from Go me. ahead. You wanted to pick up on my conversation with Susan regarding the Tommy Tiernan yeah, show Saturday. I completely understand Susan, especially when, when you've come across this person in your life. It's a very emotive... The Alzheimer's dream. joke about yeah, are you stoned? Exactly. Yeah. Just, 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 uh, just my... I, all I can do is tell you what my instinct was when I was listening to the whole interview is that I think uh, what Tommy can do sometimes is pick up on somebody's personality he obviously doesn't know who's coming on so he can't you know premeditate questions but to me I think it was just a reflection of the gentleman's uh, personality not his pointing towards his illness he was very calm and accepting any question that Tommy asked of him he was very very calm and relaxed about the whole scenario and the the questions beforehand was he scared and everything and he admitted no he wasn't and he was so relaxed and dignified and I think that off the cuff remark which is Tommy does bring levity tries to bring levity into his it was pointing towards his demeanor and his his personality and not his illness you know and I think in a way you know, he he would have made that remark of another person on the show with a very relaxed personality who didn't, who wasn't living with Alzheimer's. So maybe in a way, why would he treat this gentleman any differently? Mm. And I think mm. hopefully he gauged the situation in that the two of them were, wouldn't have. Mm. Um, Do you think that people know what they sign up for when they go on a show like that or, I, or what? I would hope, I, I think so. And they seem to be very comfortable. I mean, she was a formidable woman. She was amazing. And I, I have no doubt if she felt insulted by a question, she might say it, although that's hard when you're on, on a show with cameras on you. But I do, I do think so. I think they know that Tommy tries to bring out more, a different direction than other interviewers. Well, clearly um, Susan was upset so much so yeah, because of I the can, loss of her dad. I can understand, yeah. I can understand because I think she thought maybe the, 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 the remark was pointed at his illness, but I, I really don't think it was. It was his demeanour and his personality, and I think that remark might have been made of somebody else who was very relaxed. He gets guests on who are going through painful scenarios, and I actually think 
it helps a lot of people out there who are going through similar painful scenarios when Tommy brings out certain aspects and personal uh, mm. uh, voices mm. in these people. No, I know that. I, and I accept also that there are those of us that feel that people get too offended by everything. But I can't help thinking oh, it's through the eyes of somebody who might have a loved one with them absolutely. in the home and they're yeah, caring and for them. I, yeah, and I've seen that myself. And as I say, all I can, all I can say, I don't doubt the woman and her and her personal feelings. And very, very hard when you when you're you was cared for someone for years. But as I say, I just think the remark was pointed totally at his personality and not at his illness. And and in a way, you know, mm. you know, mm. maybe the fact that he's treating him like another guest as well uh, is actually um, all credit to him. But I, I mean, I can understand other people getting upset at that remark. Mm. But because mm. uh, it's no it's, joke, Alzheimer's or any no, form of dementia. All, or all. But there was levity in the interview anyway from the gentleman himself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you watch it? Or do you watch it all the time? I do watch him because I am not too much. Sometimes it's too late for me. Um, but I like how he brings out some personal, um, mm. different aspects in people's. You know, I do like the fact that um, there are some people who are just going about their ordinary day with very, very tough stories who come on. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, he brings on very. I mean, it's more the guests than anything. But then I do think that questions he asks brings out some amazing answers you know and I think that's what he's good at um, but you know everyone like, you know is there for a bit of kickbase as well but um, I, to be fair I, I, mm. I, I, all, I, all I can say is from watching that interview I didn't I wasn't struck that it was okay demeaning in, in, in any way that's just my, okay. my instinct on it thank you, you know? for sharing it uh, have but, a good day very, very difficult for anyone obviously and it, it cuts a cord with anyone these people when they come on and they talk about something that's happening in their own life oh yeah it's frightening it can be very yeah, frightening yeah, I imagine yeah. be a lot of panic yeah. and a lot of worry and a yeah. lot of distress with the diagnosis yeah. like that and our yeah. thoughts are with them thanks Natasha have yourself a good thank day thank you I must run to my meeting thank you off very you much. go cheers thanks for stopping by uh, just uh, one or two final texts on um, why, why would a hotel be 199 the week before and 199 the week after and then on the night of the Debs 299 no breakfast. It's a lot of dosh on the night of the Debs. Um, and this was the case from a little earlier on. A few other texts. In fairness, why do they need to stay the night in a hotel after their Debs? It's not like they get a residence bar. At that stage, they're already polluted. Go home when the night's over, for God's sake, and leave people sleep in peace. Another person is picking up on that. Is it a rip-off or is the hotel deterring Debs attending? Uh, staying there. Could you imagine being a guest in that hotel next door or nearby and a bunch of Debs attendees? Nobody get a wink of sleep. The damage control of the hotel means extra resources would be needed, which also come at a cost. Come on, put yourself in the business's shoes and think about it for a second. Um, Ebony says, five, six years ago, believe it or not, our mothers and fathers would be at the door picking us up before they have us before they'd ever have a staying in a room together in a hotel. Um, another one or two. My daughter had a Debs in August and they arranged a bus to collect them and for the bus to come back to collect them and the parents met them at a drop-off point. Mind you, Aoife says, we went to the Coliseum, commonly known as, fondly known as the Col, uh, Leisureplex, and we stayed there until it was bright and walked home the next morning. And there's many more like that with regards to what people did on the night of or directly after um, and there was very little sleep involved in any of it. Anyway, keep those texts coming, text 086 8104 106 and I'll come back to them 
uh, a little later on. Um, just uh, let me just turn to another topic of conversation. We were talking with John in the living in the abattoir last week, and that was an alarming story. It was a distressing story where he was living, um, and the fact that he didn't seem to be getting any help or interaction with regards to getting somewhere from city council to live. Uh, in decent surroundings. And that got people very annoyed and very angry. Oh, can I, can I also just say, we did contact Silver Springs Hotel with regards to the Clayton Hotel, with regards to the 299 price, and we had no response from them. Uh, so I didn't get a response, just in case you're wondering. But uh, all I can tell you with regards to John in the abattoir is that the wheels are turning, yeah? I can't actually say any more than that because there are some issues now being uh, sorted and, and uh, you know, well, not issues, but there's, you know, uh, different uh, different wheels turning to find him better accommodation and I'm happy to say at this point in time uh, the City Council are aware of his situation now. Won't say any more about that for now uh, but the wheels are turning and I hope to have some good news and a good update at some stage this week with regards to John who hopefully very soon will be out of the abattoir and into better living accommodation. Paddy O'Brien is working on it as well as we are and indeed Paul Byrne is working on the story too. And the council are working on the case, but we're waiting to see if they can find suitable housing. Uh, and we'll be getting an update soon, and we'll let you know ASAP. have to say, um, from our point of view, uh, the council have been very helpful. Um, so far, so good. Uh, and I think Paddy O'Brien is saying the same, so they are taking this seriously. But talking about housing or where you live, it's a very intriguing story that I want Ashling Desmond to share with us this morning from the Maryborough Ridge area uh, of the suburbs. Ashling, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Now, you tell us first, you, 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 wanted to, you rented with the option you thought to buy. Yes. Um, basically, when we were back in 2011, um, we were given a letter to attend a pre-tenancy meeting in Cork County Council headquarters in relation to a unit at the Maryborough Ridge development in Douglas. Okay, okay. Um, so at that meeting, it was not only my belief, but other people who attended the meeting. We left that meeting under the impression that it was basically kind of some sort of trial rent-to-buy scheme so that we would pay rent for the five years and then that rent would be used as a deposit to buy after the five years had elapsed. That was our, that was what we were led that to that believe. Rent that rent would form the deposit paid for you to come in and just pay off the rest of the property and own it after five and years. And own it after five years. At, yeah. a pre-agreed, we were, we, at a pre-agreed price. At a pre-agreed price, okay. yeah. We were, we were told that we were selected on the basis that we had a decent income or would have the potential to have a decent income going forward. And we just needed a hand right there and then in that moment. So the idea was there was a, a group of us selected specifically for these units and that we would have the option to buy after five years. And what are they? What were you living in? What were you renting, hoping to buy in Maryborough um, Ridge? There was, there was a kind of, there was a mixture of all different types of units. There was two bedroom apartments, three bedroom duplexes. Ours in particular specifically was a two bedroom apartment. Okay. Okay. So, so the years ticked by, did they? Paying the rent away? They <laughs> they did um, a lot quicker than we thought they would to be honest um, but then when we went and made approaches to purchase we were told that no this never happened this wasn't the case you know nobody knew anything about it um, there, there was a lot of kind of ambiguity there about whether we could purchase or not until in the end we kind of gave up and ended up purchasing privately elsewhere but a lot of other people 
were stuck. They were just stuck. So who did you go back to to say, okay, the five years is up, we've paid the rent, it comes to X amount, that will be our deposit. We would now like to make an offer. Who Was that the county Um, council? Was it um, an agency acting on behalf? It was Tua Housing were the ones leasing the units on behalf of Cork County Council, which makes it that little bit more complicated because there's your step detached. But yeah, it, it was Tua Housing we were leasing from, but it was Cork County Council owned the unit, I think, until the city boundary extension where it changed to city oh, I council. Understand I'm not that. sure if yeah. that's happened okay. yet. Okay. But okay. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing ended up being a big, massive mess to be honest with you, from start to finish. And that original meeting where you think you heard, you say you heard the proposal yes. of five years rent as a deposit and then a right to purchase, was that in County Hall? It was. It was in the County Council Chambers up in County Hall. Um, we actually, like, I don't know about the other people who attended the meeting, um, but personally, like myself and my hus- my now husband, we were just together at the time, we walked away with a stamped address envelope addressed to the Cork County Council Housing Department and an application form for a Cork County Council mortgage because from the very start we were very much intent on buying our unit. So initially when we went to approach them to buy we thought we were just the only ones you know like there was only a group of I'd say 20 of us up there that day so I kind of initially thought it was just us until about two three weeks ago there was a Dublin mum Denise Skerritt and she had a, she went to the media with her story as well after years of frustration like I've experienced. Same kind of thing, is it? The five-year and period? And it was the exact yeah. same story. It was literally... The only difference between Cork County Council and Dub, South Dublin County Council was that they actually wrote it down in a contract with Denise Garrett in Dublin. So she had um, a contract Cork, from the off saying that in five years' time you'll get to buy it and she was saying that she, they reneged on this written contract. Yes. But you had nothing yeah. in writing, did you? We had nothing in writing that we knew of at the time. Like, it was all kind of verbally implied and when we got the tenancy agreement, it wasn't mentioned in them once. We also got the Tua Housing Handbook and it wasn't mentioned in it once. So, so without we any name, without any names of this one, we contacted Tua. We sent emails. We called the office. We were told we'd get a response uh, by the person in the office. Uh, I think if, if eventually, um, uh, I don't think we ever got any response from them. In fact, never heard anything at all. Full stop. I'm not surprised to hear that. But, at but all, without naming honest. any any names at that meeting in the county hall at the start of the tenancy, did somebody stand up on behalf of Tua and say that after five years you could buy? Honestly, it, it was over 12 years ago, so I wouldn't want to rely on my memory. But we walked, like myself and my husband, walked away from that meeting with the clear implication of this was a rent-to-buy scheme, that we would rent for the five years. And there was a member of Tua Housing there at the meeting. And when I asked her about it, I think it was 2018 when we actually went to buy, um, or 2017, 2018, we made moves to buy, because um, we were finally in a position to do so. And when I mentioned it to the same person into a housing, I was basically told, nope, this was never a thing. This isn't going to happen. You know, we don't sell two-bedroom properties. And my argument was, why put us into one when we made clear from the very start this is, was our intention? We wanted to buy our unit. And are there other people who rented originally and after five years in Maryborough Ridge who also went looking to buy? It wasn't just Maryborough Ridge. This is also the thing I only found out recently as well. It, it happened in Maryborough Woods. And um, from a, and I have an email from Morris Manning in Director of Services in Cork County Council in 2018, which says there are 739 affordable properties 
which were leased to approved housing bodies. So this is bigger than just us, which is why I'm taking it to you, because we want to reach out to everybody out there who is in this situation, because... You think there could be hundreds of others who are labouring under the misapprehension that after five years rental, they could buy and that the rental would be a deposit? Yeah, from my understanding, there could be up to 700 people. But are there any neighbours that you... 700, but are any neighbours around you also found themselves now in the same situation? Yes, there have been. And, like, unfortunately for some, like, this could be their only option of ever having security of, like, a home. Like, this is people's homes. This is where they're raising their children. And this is, could be their only chance to purchase that home. The and Residential Tenancy Board, because we, uh, well, we got onto the Residential Tenancy Board and they said they can't comment on individual cases or ongoing investigations. Would that mean that there is some sort of an investigation by the RTB? I don't know. Like with the RTB in itself, we were only registered with them, I think it was about six, seven years into our tenancy, which in itself was suspicious enough. Like we weren't registered for the first five years of the tenancy. And when I looked into it, I think I was told that um, basically you cannot register rent to buys with the RTV. So that to me would imply that the intention was always there to sell these units. They were affordable housing units from the very beginning. And it was just madness. Be interested to hear from other people who feel as if they've had the rug pulled from under them. Councillor Seamus McGrath joins me by phone um, because I know that he is um, representing people like your good self, Ashling, and, and perhaps yeah, he, others. He but a, but, a what, what, but let's find year. out if he was actually at that meeting and heard the same as you. Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Do you want to pick up on that? Were you there when the, this was said to the people who were renting? Um, I wouldn't have been at that meeting, Neil, but I suppose I do want to just back up what Ashling has been saying. Um, the particular meeting she refers to there, I think, would probably be the, tenants, the pre-tenancy meeting where you know the council would meet with tenants, uh, handing over the keys and so on like that. Um, but just just to give the context to this, I suppose these were unsold affordable houses during the economic crash. Cork County Council would have had over 700 of them. It would be a national issue. Other local authorities would have similar um, unsold affordable houses. So the decision was taken that these, what were initially intended to be affordable purchase houses, would actually be used for social housing purposes. And that was done through the approved housing bodies, such as Tua Housing here in Cork. Um, so there were tenants put into these um, units. Uh, initially for a five-year period and the view was and the distinct impression was that they will have the option of buying those units and I've absolutely no difficulty in saying that you know but you didn't hear that said you don't have any documentary evidence to back that up do you we, we don't have documentary evidence, but it certainly formed parts of discussions I would have had with officials um, at the time. Like they, these were not intended to be social housing units long term. They were unsold affordable units. So for that reason, they were treated differently. Um, but there were, at the time, the tenants that were selected certainly met all the qualifications for social housing in terms of being under the income limit and so on like that. But it is also true to say that the council would have given the distinct impression that down the road these units, because they were originally affordable purchase units, you would have the option of buying them. And it, that hasn't materialised to date. But I should say that, that there is a working group nationally set up to try and look at this issue. Um, Ashley referred to I think um, a response I got to a motion in the past uh, on this issue and uh, you know, it's down in black and white. There's a working group set up. They're looking at this issue. What kind of a mechanism will be put in place um, which, which would potentially allow the tenants to purchase the houses now, I have been having conversations with officials only in recent weeks again, and I'm told that progress is being made on that and that there, there is likely to be an outcome to that working group shortly. But, but what, um, what, what's that outcome likely to be for those that are still well, there, the opportunity to buy? 
Yeah, I, look, I don't want to preempt it, but my understanding is that it will involve purchase options. Um, and is this, is this an option that's being forced upon them because they didn't seem to be willingly want to do it when Ashling went to them? Yeah, so look, just be careful. It hasn't reported, so I don't, you know, I don't want to raise anyone's expectations, but my understanding from conversations is that it is working towards a solution that, that potentially will involve purchase, and, and look, that would be a good outcome. But at the same time, it's much, much longer than people initially thought they would have to wait. They were signed up for five years initially. Uh, you know, this will go back to 2009, 2010, 2011, those years. Uh, so it's significantly longer for the tenants to have to wait. Now, it should be said, Neil, not everyone is in a position to purchase these houses. Many will remain a tenant and happily remain a tenant because to purchase, you have to be able to secure a mortgage and so on. Like no, that. no so and I understand that. And I feel for people yeah. who would love to be able to afford but can't. Yeah. But at least they, they continue to have a roof over their heads. But you're gone now, Ashling, aren't you? Yeah, we, we ended up giving up. Um, honestly, it wasn't like a fun experience for us renting there. Um, it was quite difficult and we found them quite difficult to work with and rent from as tenants. So we, we felt for our own mental health the best option for us. Well, to is, is, is it possible to elaborate on any of that or is that a no-go area? <laughs> well, see, I, I, I'm able to speak out now because I am gone. There is no retaliation or repercussions for me for speaking out anymore. So there's, there's, you know, but yeah, like th- there was a lot in dealing with to a housing as landlords. There was a lot of issues and complications. I numerous times had would have to email the CEO to a housing just to get a resolution on something that was so simple. And they were very frustrating to deal with as a group. And the court office in particular were just very frustrating mm. to, to be dealing with as landlords. Like they would do things like, I think it was June t- 2019 where they would do annual house inspections for example and like they would come out and in June 2019 for the first time after nine years renting from them or eight years renting from them like they started taking photographs of people's personal belongings and photographing the inspections and you know just taking detailed photographs of everything without your permission or without your consent. Yeah, and then that, sounds a bit ex- that sounds a bit extraordinary. A private landlord might have a pre-agreed visitation to check on the property yeah, uh, and then it, it wasn't until actually it was 2020 when they actually put it in their newsletter. They're at their days to issue a newsletter to tenants saying during the inspection, your HSCO will take pictures. So it wasn't until 2020 they actually said we will do this, but it was in 2019 they actually started. But I suppose they have to keep an eye on the upkeep of the properties, though, you know. They don't want them going to rack and ruin and just find when a tenant moves out the place is trashed, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, they like visual inspections were enough and you signed the document at the end of it. They signed the document at the end of it. You know, they didn't need to be taking photographs of people's personal belongings. But how would you feel, because you've moved on now, if this gets resolved and you will have been denied, If this, and I'm not suggesting second-guessing what will happen, Seamus, I'm not. Uh, don't, don't get yeah. me wrong there. But how would you feel if this gets reversed and you've lost the opportunity to buy it? Honestly, I, I am annoyed about it. I am very upset about it. I mean, five years rent was a lot of money to us and it was a lot of money at the time as well. And to be denied that, like we we were in a fortunate position that, you know, we worked way up over the years and that we were able to, during COVID, scrimp and save a deposit to buy a house. Not everyone else is that lucky. And there's a lot of people just promoted by this. I mean, there are other tenants who have had to move back in with family to get away from the to a housing situation. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of people who have moved out. To build a deposit because then. now they find because that the deposit doesn't count. The deposit is just vanished into thin air. Like the money that they were promised is just gone. The house, the home they were promised is just gone. Do you know? Like it's not fair. And what annoys me the most about this, 
I like I know it's a big discussion at the moment, but I mean myself and my husband were kind of one of the few who had double incomes or two people in this situation. Yeah. The majority were single mothers. And like as a group, they tend to be the most targeted by the state constantly. So for this to happen to a group of single mothers. Oh my god, could you imagine anybody going through this? But say a single parent rearing a children a child or children on their own. She possibly was living under the misapprehension that in five years' time, in four years' time, in three years' time, in six months' time, I'll be able to buy it. I'll have yeah. the, you know, and then to find that just Taken like away. the rug pulled from under. Yeah, and then to be told, like, no, that never happened, you know, and you're kind of going... Is no, that why you use the did. word gaslighting, is it? Yeah, it is. that's exactly how it felt. It really did feel like that when I was looking in 2018. Like, it was why I was so frustrated. I actually went to Seamus for help. And he was amazing. He was absolutely incredible. Couldn't have done it without him. But that's exactly how I felt. Because I was kind of going, am I going crazy here? Like, is, is this, did this really happen? Do it, and when I asked my neighbours about it at the time, they were all kind of going, no, no, no. That's what we thought as well. But again, like I said, like, it's fine for me and my husband. We got out. I wonder but if there the are others in similar that I, I'm speaking out for because they can't speak out. Because there will be retaliation for them if they do. So that's why I'm here. Ah, uh, well, that's a fairly serious allegation to make, retaliations if they speak well, out. Well, okay, maybe retaliation is the wrong word there, but like, there, there are consequences for those. As tenants, there could be consequences no. if they As speak tenants, up, whereas you have, you have nothing to lose. How and I ever, lose. how and ever, you got to get it in writing. Yeah, well, to be honest, I mean, I was only 21 at the time. You know, we were all quite young. We were all kind of in a precarious situation. You know, 2009, there was the recession, there was all this going on. We were young. We just, we weren't clued in. We, like, we made mistakes too. We should have said, put it in writing, put it in writing. We never did. That was our big mistake. But at the same time, when I was reading the story about Denise from Dublin, it was the exact same. And she has it in writing. So that kind of, when I saw that, I was like, oh, it wasn't just us. Okay. You know, this okay. is a national issue. Okay, I'd love to speak with other people who are in a similar, or might be labouring under the misapprehension that after a period of time their deposit would count as, or their rent would count as a deposit. So you can't say with any amount of certainty, Councillor Seamus McGrath, as to how this will, will play out, except that it was also your understanding that there would be people with an income that could potentially buy the apartments five years down the line. Would it reverse? Yeah. Do you think that will yeah. happen? Yeah, look, that's true. We can't say with certainty, I suppose. I, I have been following up on this issue and, you know, conversations I'm having would indicate that there will be a solution uh, forthcoming. But Has um, there been an admission from the County Council or on tour that it was said? Um, yes. Yes, conversations I've had, there has been, you know, it has been agreed that people would have left, you know, would have been selected attendants and would have been given the distinct impression that the purchase of the properties was possible. Did you, did, was, uh, that, was that said to you orally or do you have that in writing? It said to me verbally, I suppose, in conversation. But I did have a response to a motion where it referred to the working group nationally that has been set up. So that's, that's a, you know, that's an official response to a motion I had at the council meeting. It is specifically re- referred to this working group, which is looking at solutions. So look, it was clearly implied in that response that this is something that's on the table. Um, you know, so look, it, I think it needs to be resolved. People have had to wait far too long. Unfortunately, in many cases, lives have moved on, such as Ashley, and that's very, very, very unfortunate. 
Um, but there's still time to get a solution here and you know, I'm certainly working to promote it. I think other councils are probably doing similar across the country um, because there are people who are in a position to raise a mortgage. Their circumstances have changed. They may not be working. Their income may be in a good position to raise a mortgage. Buy out if their they're home. still there, um, yeah. If they're yeah. still there, yeah. Look, that's the point. People's lives have moved on as well in other so directions. So it'll be bittersweet then if and when this happens, Ashling. And I'm inclined to believe that it will because the response to um, you know, Seamus McGrath's motion from Cork County Council said it's anticipated that such solutions will include the permanent transfer of these properties with the option of purchase by the existing tenants first. Yeah. 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 And that's the way it should be. The existing tenants should be allowed to buy their own home first and they should be given every assistance from the council via council mortgages to do so. And if that happens, that will be down to you, Ashling, and indeed Seamus for pushing this, right? Well, I mean, if, if it wasn't for Denise speaking out in Dublin, this never would have come out at all because I would have just continued to think it was just us. I never would have known this was a common issue or a bigger issue than I thought it was. You know, and it's just I'm in a position now where I can speak out and I would be hoping that even if this does come to pass and they are allowed by their own units that they would be given every support and every help, like give them the five years rent back more if need be. You know, give them the council mortgages to help them buy their homes. And for those that have left that find themselves in more difficult situations like those who move back in with their parents, I think, personally, I think the money should be returned to them. I think and the do, you think that you're, do you think them. that you're entitled to anything? Honestly, if I did, I'd probably donate it to a housing charity because I, I wouldn't want to keep the money personally with my own personal feelings on it. Yeah. But honestly, I, I, I would be annoyed enough to say, yeah, I want my five years rent back. That was yeah. supposed to be our deposit for yeah. our home that yeah. we didn't have access to when we came to buy our home. But it's, it's interesting, I mean, Seamus, are they doing this as a good, will they potentially do this as a goodwill gesture or because they've been caught in the headlights with something that they got wrong? I, I honestly... Both, well, both of you can answer that. Go ahead, Ashling, and then Seamus. No, I was just saying, like, look, at the end of the day, this is what we were told. They should honour that. For those that have left, they absolutely should get their money back because they they were they were left they left the units under a false representation. Like they, if they had like us approached to buy, they were told no. Seamus, like that is not their yeah. fault. No, look, I completely agree. Tenants in these houses, if they're in a position to do so, should have the op- option of purchasing them, and they should have the option of purchasing them in a fair and reasonable way. You know, and that isn't at market value currently. That is bearing bearing in mind the duration they've been in the property, the rent they've paid, and so on like that. So, like, tenants buying social housing units, for example, need, will get a discount on those units in terms of market value. They get a quite substantial discount. So, a similar approach needs to be taken here in these particular units, even though they were originally affordable. But the tenants should be, you know, it needs to be a fair and proportionate um, solution for the tenants. That and a fair sales price too, right? Well, fair for the tenant, yeah, for the purchaser, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, do you, do you we, know... Sorry, Neil. Sorry, Neil. We were told that the units were going to be sold at 190000 and I think it would be... In, after everything that has happened over the last 12 years, it would be prudent to sell them at that price, plus the, the council discount. That, that, would, be be, that would be the it deposit, is, which could be, what, what 10, 20? No, the, the, the sale price of the, the two-bedroom apartments at the time was 190000 That's what we were told when we inquired to buy. So it would so be that, that less the rent? I think it should be that less the okay, rent, to be okay. fair, with what these people have had to put up Okay, with. well, will you come back if there's an update and it's resolved at any stage soon? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And Seamus, just yeah. finally, for somebody who lives in council properties, you know, it could be in the city council yeah. or the county council, let's say they have a, their own home, do they ever have an option to buy? Uh, yes, in some cases they do, Neil. It's known as the incremental purchase scheme. 
Um, there will be ex- some exclusions to that, uh, so not every tenant has the option. It can be quite complicated, but we'd say your traditional council estate, um, if you have a three-bed house, for example, you, you, you can have the option of buying that out at a, at a discount on the market value. So that is possible because that's taken into account the duration of time people have been in that house paying rent and so on like that. So, that, uh, so, so it's discounted th- because you've paid rent, is it? It, well, it isn't directly linked to the rent, but it's discounted because you've been a long-term tenant. You've you've paid rent, obviously, as part of that house. And it's, it's look, it's a national scheme, incremental purchase scheme. It's been there for a long time. Okay. It basically gives a discount on the market value. But is it at the whim of the council as to whether they agree or not? There would be a policy in place. Not all units are, are eligible for this. So, for example, ground floor, bungalows, for example, which are always in hot demand for people with mobility issues and so on, they're not sold. Um, there's only certain ho- there's only certain types of properties okay. that are eligible. Yeah. I know it can be a bugbear for some tenants. They might be in a four bedroom house, for example, and they're not allowed to buy it out because again, four bedroom houses are difficult to come by. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you know, your standard three bed house, yes, but not all cases. See, social housing comes from a variety of sources now. So the Part Five provision, for example, whereby ten percent of units in private estate they're not eligible, for example. Whereas if the council itself builds a scheme, they can be eligible. So it's it's quite complex, but in some cases there is there is the possibility for tenants to buy the houses. Amazing topic, topic. amazing topic. Yeah. Thank you both so much. Do stay in touch, Ashling, and also Councillor Seamus McGrath, because we'd love to hear of the resolution to this or how it ends up, because it could have big implications for other people who might be labouring under the misapprehension, like Ashling was, that at some stage they'd be allowed to buy and they might get a shock. Listen, thank you both for now. Thanks for taking the call. Thanks, Dave. Thank you to Seamus. Stay in touch, Ashling. No, thank you for putting all that work in. Um, maybe other people listening to this might be alarmed or, you know, might be sitting up and saying, hang on a second, I wonder, are we in the same, uh, are we in the same ball here? Uh, are we in the same ballpark here in the sense there's 739 uh, unsold affordable properties which are leased to approved housing bodies so there could potentially be 739 other families or people out there who also think uh, or may not even know that um, they might have an opportunity to buy their own homes. Anyway, text 0868104106 if you're one of those. Um, pick up the phone on 0818104106. I need to take a break back after these. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. And you can pick up the phone on 0818104106. Just staying with this, actually, Ashling referenced uh, another lady who also went through something similar, albeit... Uh, in Dublin, and that's uh, Denise Garrett, and she joins me by phone. I got some photocopies of her own uh, situation regarding um, her South Dublin County Council application. Denise, good morning. Hello. And, we, you? and when you got in touch with them to buy, they said, unfortunately, having discussed and reviewed the matter, we find that we cannot dispose of the property to you as there is no scheme available to us to do so. But you that's heard it with exactly your own ears, it. right? I actually still have the original contract that I signed in their office in 2010. Um, and from the time that I signed into that agreement up until present, I was never advised ever, never received anything in writing to advise me of any change to the original document. But you have a contract and that you signed that was never changed. You never updated never. the contract. And it said that you nope. would be offered the opportunity to buy it for yep. 225000 yep. It says that's the max amount I would be asked to pay, but that I could be entitled to discounts depending on the scheme available. So basically the way it normally works is 
now you need to be, I think it's 10 years in a property. This is the new rule. I'm here 13 years in July this year. Um, so I more than meet the requirements. And basically when I reached out to them during COVID, um, you know, that was kind of my first time to approach them in relation to purchasing the property. And they sent me out the paperwork for the incremental tenant purchase scheme. And when I received that paperwork, there's a list of properties that are exempt from the incremental tenant purchase scheme, but that was only introduced in 2016. So any contract that predates that, if they haven't actually notified you of any change, amendment, or issued you with a new contract Correct. that you also signed into, yeah. that's a legally binding document. It absolutely so is. They can't just turn around yeah. and say, we are standing down all existing programs yeah. at this time. Sure, like, that doesn't matter a damn what they say. You have no, a contract. No, it doesn't. But that, that was my argument. And I actually spoke to, so it was the senior staff officer in the uh, Home Loan Accounts section in South Dublin County Council. And when I spoke to him initially, I actually said to him, look, that's like what you're doing is actually breaking the law. You're aware of that. So what so did I you said, do about Can it? You? So I, like, well, obviously, like, this went back and forth for a while. And then I found, to be honest, I'm not going to lie, like, I found them extremely unhelpful, very dismissive, just didn't want to entertain me whatsoever. So then I said, right, then I need to go to a solicitor. So I did, I went to a solicitor, a local solicitor down in the Tala area. I brought the documentation with me and I said to him, like, am I correct in saying that this is completely wrong, what's going on here? And he said, no, you're absolutely right. Like, if they've never advised you of any change or they yeah, never issued yeah. you with a new contract and yeah. you didn't sign into that or were in agreement, then yes. So did he write to them to or honor. she write to them? He, he. He, he actually wrote to them in November and December 2021 and to date... Both of those letters have been completely ignored and have gone unanswered. That is why I then I then approached um, a TD from Sinn Féin who has made me aware that I'm not the first person to come with that kind of thing. Um, but also there's like issues within the development where I live um, and, you know, the management company and stuff like that, like structural issues and things. You know, I'm sure we've all heard about the the 100% redress scheme, or scheme excuse me, for the uh, Celtic Tiger era um, buildings that all the defects are yeah, in them. Yeah, so I've been after them up. as yeah. well for so two years to resolve things. Are you, still in your, are you still in the property? I am, because where else am I meant to go? Like I have, I'm, I'm a single mother myself, like I work full time. I went back and put myself to college. My son is 16 years of age. I signed into this tenancy agreement based on the, you know, like I was always going to buy because it's my responsibility to make sure that I leave my child secure, you know, that kind of way. So, so where are I you tell at? You, yeah, go on. Yeah. They haven't, they've, they've completely ignored, um, they completely ignored my solicitor's letters. And then basically when I started threatening to go to the media, this was before I approached Dublin Live, I was getting really sick of it because you're kind of cost in limbo where you feel like, you know, there's certain things I want to do with the property, like I need to put new floors and bits and pieces. I put a lot of money into it as well. Like I've kept my home, you know, as best I can. I'm a good tenant. I don't cause trouble, you know, like I keep myself to myself. What are you going to do? Absolutely. What are you going to do next? Well, I basically like I had um, somebody in there who did start to kind of like, you know, like liaise with me when I did threaten to go to the media. 
And then they actually tried to offer me a brand new two bedroom house around the corner from where I live. But the catch was I could never own it. And I just said, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what they were. I think it was like trying to dangle the carrot in front of me. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Um, They tried to offer me a brand new two bedroom house around the corner. You know, oh, look, you know, it's brand new. You could move in before Christmas. And I said, do you have the option to buy? Because I'm not waving. And they said, no, you have 12 and a half years rent. So why don't you get him into court and bring your contract and wave it in front of the judge and get him or her to look at it? Yeah, you see, the problem problem you have is if you're starting to go down the route of high court action, the first phase of legal fees, to the best of my knowledge, are like eight and a half thousand. So... You have to be realistic in terms of like, is that affordable to the majority of people? Because when I did that story with Dublin Live, the amount of emails and or sorry messages I was getting on Facebook into my inbox, message requests from people everywhere in the country, and Ashing was one of them, like telling me, Oh my god, I like fair play to you for going live or, or for going and speaking out about this. You know, this exact same thing happened to us. But this is and I was wrong. Like, oh, if it's I'm not on my own. Like, if it's happening, God. yeah, it's just so Absolutely. wrong. I mean, I don't suppose it you is. have the time or the energy to represent yourself or try and find somebody on a no fall, no fee basis. Well, it's not about the no win, no fee basis. Like, that's not really the issue. The fact of the matter is, as I say. You know, you always run the risk of not winning the case. Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, hands on heart, I don't think that would be the case as I have the original document yeah, and I have all of the emails, like over 60 odd emails and all the phone call recordings and everything like, you know, like I could, I, I've, I've already asked them to process the Freedom of Information Act. So that's every shred of data that they hold on me. So... I'd be very confident that they wouldn't have a leg to stand okay, on whatsoever. But, there's obviously but it's a also the, the mental drain that it has as well, because I've been doing this for two over two years now as it is. But it looks as if it looks as if Cork County Council are going to change their th- thought process on this for want of a better term. Yeah. You know? Well I sincerely hope so because it would be nice for you too if out like a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because as I say to you, like the majority of people who are in the situation are the same as myself. Single parents who are out working and, you know, trying to kind of like make better for themselves, you know, and and make sure that they do put themselves I had another girl there who messaged me and she was the same She's doing her master's at the moment. It's not, I don't know, some, sometimes I kind of think people just seem to have a very kind of, um, like, I don't know, old-fashioned image, like, oh, they think that you're getting a property, you're, you're living there for free, and you're just expecting the handout, but yeah. you're not. Yes, you've been paying rent yeah. all along, and then you've, like, put yourself, like, obviously back into college, yes. worked your backside off, yeah. and, like, done your level best to make sure that you're keeping. And... If you, if you turned around, like like I had it with the management company there, an email that was only exchanged last week where I said, I've had environmental health officers in here last October in relation to different issues, like with mould and dampening the property, literally water running down the wall of the bathroom. And they're trying to tell me, oh, that's normal. It's just condensation. When contractors 
to work on their behalf have told me no damp surveys need to be carried out because there's probably no insulation in the ceiling or external walls. And I appreciate your predicament there, but that for me is... It's crazy the hamster wheel you're running around on, but as I say to you, like... Like, I'm still, that's why I picked up the phone this morning. I was listening in to Ashling and I said, like, I'm going to obviously jump in here and Thank you for you doing know, that. say what I need to say. Will you stay in touch uh, and uh, let, know, let us know what kind yeah, of absolutely. resolution like, you get. Yeah, absolutely. It has, it, has, it has been passed over to a TD there in Sinn Féin and I got a letter from them last week. I am aware that a working group was put together. You know, obviously, again, it's very slow. Um, but I sincerely hope that there is, you know, a good outcome for all of the people involved in this situation, like myself. And you too. And you and too. That yeah. they absolutely stand up and, and deliver on what they promised that they would in okay. a written contract. Because otherwise, I just, Jesus, like, I'd, I'd wonder, is there any justice in this at all? Oh, uh, listen, tell me about it. Listen, do stay in touch. I have a feeling we'll talk again. But thanks for now, Denise. Take Lovely. care of yourself. Thank you so much. And thanks Take for care. picking up the phone. Cheers. Back after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Lots of texts. Let me just give you a flavour of what's been happening this morning. Neil, there's a young man in court this morning over an alleged cannabis charge. Will you cover that once the court is over? I certainly will. And uh, let you keep a close eye on it for me and come back to me. And then I'll drag out the court reports on it and happy to chat about it. Um, earlier this morning, we were talking about prisons. Um, prison is, and the, the sadly, uh, loss of life of, a, of a, a prison inmate at the time that was absolutely tragic. Prison is no place for anybody with addictions. It costs me, it costs us €120,000 to keep a person in prison per year. It's half that amount to rehabilitate them. What an excellent text. Even if they have setbacks, they're still in contact with people to help them to try again. There's no security in prison either. Just look at the contraband within our prison network. Drugs, hooch, mobile phones. It took prison staff less than 22 seconds in the 11 times they checked this young man. Um, I don't know what they were doing. Um, well, um, I can only give you the details of what happened at the inquest, but uh, it's a very interesting point, though. Uh, I suppose sometimes the issue is if there, if somebody is an, is addicted or an addict or has issues, but there's been a criminal involvement, um, that's why prison is the is the option. Uh, but the, that text is saying it would cost half that amount of money to rehabilitate them, particularly if the crime was. Um, addiction related. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, don't give up my details and I can't come on air, but I have a brother um, in prison who is mentally unwell. He's schizophrenic and is currently having episodes and delusions. I was told that there is nothing they can do because he keeps to himself and stays inside his cell despite me making complaints and speaking to the management. Sometimes it's a catch-22 situation. People with bad mental health problems and conditions can't get the help that's needed inside or outside of prisons unless they ask for help themselves. And it's the unwell people who are very sick that refuse help and end up harming themselves or others. They're not going to be the ones to ask for help. And so begins the circle of multiple crimes and a life of incarceration. More needs to be done on legislation and reform of the Mental Health Acts and the provision of care and accountability. Thank you for that. One or two others. Uh, there is a researcher by the name of Frank Hugerbeets who tweeted a few days ago that there would be a 7.5 uh, 
uh, on the Richter scale earthquake in the exact spot it happened in in Turkey. How spooky is that? He has also now said that there'll be one in California soon and the Greek islands in the second half of this year. You should check him out. Uh, and on Tommy Tiernan's TV show, would your would people ever relax and get a grip? It was funny. He doesn't mean any harm. It's Tommy Tiernan. I understand people get upset, but Tommy is a comedian. He doesn't draw the line on his humour. It's how he copes and how he lives. Uh, people need to realise this, realize this and not get upset. I love Tommy and he meant no harm, says Phil, with regards to uh, the wisecrack about Alzheimer's, if there ever is. Uh, being asked, are you stoned, isn't an insult. People need to get a life. Um, although somebody suggests that it was ignorant, according to Kath. Your caller demonstrates what's wrong with this world. People who get angry on behalf of others. Let your caller do herself and everyone else do themselves. Um, you know, as in, mind your own patch, I suppose. Not that I necessarily agree with that, particularly if you lost a parent to Alzheimer's. I don't know why people are so upset with Tommy Tiernan. He's a, well, I can't use that word to describe him, but uh, let me just say it's not a pleasant word. I wouldn't be surprised at what he's saying uh, as he gets away with this kind of mocking for years. Uh, He's nothing but a mocker. I can't stick that kind of comedy or TV myself. I wouldn't watch or listen to anything like that, says Joanne. Uh, so there's that and lots more besides. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Busy again this morning. Um, just on the... I'd love to talk with people. Here's the typical text now. I'd love to talk to people who've been renting and renting and renting from a council for years and would like the wish or the option to be able to buy or indeed try tried and has been refused. My mam's been renting for 58 years. The local residents had numerous meetings regarding buying the properties, but to no avail. They give all sorts of different reasons. I remember one was given because of issues regarding insurance and who'd be responsible if somebody falls and put in a claim because there was only a single entrance for the different residents. But sure, you'd say the same about that in any multi-storey apartment block where people own their own properties in an apartment building, wouldn't you? Um, 58 years and wishing to buy. Uh, anybody else in scenarios like that? Oh, and thank you. I also got a response from uh, somebody who is vegan and proud of it. I was talking this morning about the things that in a survey vegans said they missed. Um, and they include chocolate, roast chicken, um, they're the main two. Other ones then include bacon sarnies. I don't even know. That's a big, Bri- that's a British thing, isn't it? Bacon sarnies. You see it on the telly all the time. They're chomping away on them. I don't know of anywhere that actually would sell a bacon sarnie. And I don't know that I've ever seen it on a menu or even a takeout menu. I'm sure you'll tell me if there are. But bacon sarnies, cheese toasties, a full fry up, toast with real butter, burgers, ice cream, kebabs and garlic bread. These are the things they miss. Not all of them, including this texter who says, I feel nauseous when I smell any meat cooking. So no, as a vegan, I definitely do not crave it. As for chocolate and butter, I don't miss that either because I know the dairy industry is worse regarding cruelty than the meat industry. Thank you for coming back to me. I mentioned there probably are substitutes, aren't there? Uh, Substitute chocolate, substitute spreads and things like that. I mean, I also was reading again at the weekend um, that the sales of uh, alcohol-free beer are just going through the roof these days. Absolutely going through the roof. Um, 
um, alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic. And also alcohol-free gin is also soaring. Not so sure of alcohol-free wine. I don't think they've managed to make that palatable yet. I think it might be a long time before they do. Anyway, keep the text coming. Text 0868-104-106. Regina standing by. But first up, Sharon, who incidentally I spoke to in the past, and she'll remind me of that. Sharon, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are and we? And to you all in Balafihan. When we spoke, were we right in the throes of COVID? We were, we were, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and how many times did you update with me? Because I know that your poor misfortunate dad passed away at the age of 87 in a Cork nursing home, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. That's no right, no yeah. inquest yet, though? No, nothing, no, nothing, no. Okay. And we're looking for a public inquiry now as well. Why? Um, well, Neil, like, the elderly, like, the way they were treated in nursing homes, if it was a school or a crash, I mean, they'd be social workers, we go in there straight away to investigate what was going on. But like elderly were left there today with no one with them. Um, like stuff that we didn't know that like we know now that there should have been one person in when my dad passed, that there should have been one person being able to sit with them. Um if you were like if you were willing to take the risk of getting COVID. You think there will be there, do you like, think that there will be a public inquiry? Well, look, hopefully they will be. Like, we're hoping that there will be. There are calls for at both sides of the border. I know there are similar calls in Northern Ireland. There is, there is, yeah, that's right. Now, we had um, a Care Champion seminar there in Dublin, up in uh, DCU there um, last Saturday week, which was very good, very emotional, very sad day. Um, and we had a speaker from Northern Ireland as well. And she was saying that they are looking for a public inquiry. Yeah. Was there motions before the dog? Because I know that Sinn Féin came out saying they would support a full public inquiry, didn't they? Yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They did. They did. And we spoke with Mary Lou and we spoke with David Cullen and I were friends. We had a great meeting with them. So we're still only at the need for a public inquiry. It hasn't yeah. been agreed upon. No, okay. no, not yet. No. And can you remind us of the sad circumstances surrounding your dad? Yeah, um, my dad was 87 and he was in a nursing home. Um, he got COVID, he tested positive for COVID on the 5th of November. Um, and we were told that he was good, that he was grand and that there was no, he had no symptoms. Um, that weekend before he died, we were trying to get through to the nursing home and we couldn't get through, there was no answer. Um, on the Monday I got through and they said that he was okay, he was doing okay and he had no symptoms. Um, on the Tuesday, he was doing okay. On Wednesday, I got a call from the GP to say that he was okay and that his chest was clear and that he was coming out the other side of it. And on Wednesday night, I got a call to come to the nursing home. And when I went out, he was on oxygen. And I, I said to my question them, I said, I was told today by the GP that he was okay. And they said, no, that he was on oxygen and that I had to put him on oxygen. So Thursday, I rang and they said he was sitting up having a bit of porridge, which he wasn't. Um, How do you know? How do you know he wasn't? Were you there to see that he wasn't or what? No, I was told. Subsequently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, But that was not true, is it? No, that was not true, yeah. I was told all this, yeah. Um, On Friday, my brother and sister got in to see him for half an hour each. Now, we were never told he was at end of life or that he was dying. And on the Saturday morning at 7.02, I got a phone call to come to the nursing home. And when I went, it was lashing, it was November, the 14th of November, it was lashing, raining. Went to the nursing home and I was told to come to the fire exit. And when I went to the fire exit, they couldn't find the keys to open the fire exit to let me in. 
this stage now, of course, there are no visits, sure there aren't. No, and mm. as I said, the weather was very bad. Um, they left me eventually about 10 to 8. They dressed me in PPE gear. And when I went into the room, it's I looked at my dad and the oxygen was gone and he was just lying there. And I just asked the nurse, I said, is my dad um, after passing? And she said, yes, your dad passed at 6.45. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, you had to ask, so, didn't you? You had to ask. Yeah, I had to ask. Yeah, I wasn't told. So then, why weren't you prepared mom, for that, Sharon? Sorry. Why weren't you prepared for that? Because you know, like as I said, like no one told him that end of life. We thought that he'd come out the other side. That he wasn't dying. Like if we were told that he was at the end of life, we would have been prepared for it, but we weren't told. And then when we got, know, but when you were gearing up with the putting on the PPE and everything, exactly. surely somebody would. Exactly, there was a nurse and there was a care assistant there and like, sure to God, one of them should have told me that he was after passing to prepare me for what they went in to see. And then I had to, my mum and my brother and my sister were outside the window and my own daughters and I just had to pull back the curtain and just say that my dad was after passing. So my mum then How do you say that through a closed sealed window? Because I was shouting, even though I had a mask on me with and the mask was getting fogged up because it was a visor I had on me. Um, and then they couldn't find the key to open the window for us to talk out, to the, like for me to talk out to the family outside the window. It was just horrific, absolutely horrific. What a way for you to discover your dad and then yeah. for you to have to pass on that sad news. Yeah, and my mum and dad, they were six years married on the 29th of October, so she had to say goodbye to him. She had to be lifted up, my nephew had to lift her up and physically say goodbye to him. That must have been tragic to observe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, we don't even know, like, if my dad... Like, there's so many questions there. Like, if that was my dad in the coffin, like, I put back the sheets to make sure he was dressed, that he had something on his bottoms, you know, he had a pyjamas end on. So we don't even know. And then on the Sunday, I was in my mum's, and the phone rang, and it was the nursing home, a video call. Oh, hi, we just have someone here to say hello to you. And I just said, excuse me. And she said, yes, there's someone here to say hello. I said, my dad actually passed yesterday. My dad passed away yesterday. My God. I said, oh, sorry about that. And that was it. Was that very soon after his passing? That was, my dad passed on the Saturday morning. This was the Sunday afternoon, yeah. What a dreadful mistake to make. Notwithstanding that they probably were... You know, yeah. you know, working very hard or trying to deal with all sorts of issues with the nursing homes and the elderly who had all sorts of different conditions to be dealt with, never mind COVID, but that's a terrible mistake to make. It is, exactly. I mean, like, they didn't take the time out to take, like, to know who they were calling. They just, probably my name just came up. There could have been another Sharon, and my name just came up. And Do you think there was awful confusion it? within some of the nursing homes? Terrible, absolutely terrible. And my dad died during the second wave of COVID. And 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 if you had been given the proper information with regards to his declining health, you think you would have? Would you have been allowed to have been there for the end? Well, I would. I should. Well, we should have been allowed there. To be honest, if we had the proper information, like one of us should have been let there with him. Now they did say to me that um, if anything did happen, that they would ring me if his pulse got weak. That they would ring me to come. But sure, no one rang me. They rang me when he was after passing, like 20 minutes. So that'll tell you that there was actually nobody with him when he died, probably. But when they rang you, they didn't tell you that? No, no, no. They rang me at 7.02. 
And like Vio, Leo Varadkar, I'm being told, announced an inquiry. He did so at the start of January. He probably one of the first things he did when he became Taoiseach, would you think? Um, and that, uh, that the group Care Champions um, are very much pushing this, uh, that yeah, they want a yeah. human rights lawyer to lead this independent inquiry. What would it achieve? Like, like it's not that it'll put it to, not that it'll put it to bed, but like, like we need to be hard there as well, Neil. We need to be out there hard as well. I mean, there's public inquiries. Like, we need to have this public inquiry for people, like, so that it won't happen again to the elderly. Good answer. Yeah, absolutely. And and like, you can't like what we went through. Like, we don't want any other, uh, the other families. Like, we don't want another family in two or three years' time to go through again what we went through. So many mistakes made. And this so issue of, I mean, even being told, oh, he's sitting up and he's having porridge, which you subsequently found out that he was a, he was a million miles from sitting up having porridge. He was dying. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I heard it, as I say, from the horse's mouth, that he didn't. He wasn't sitting up having porridge. So that was more confusion mixing up patients, I assume. It was, exactly, yes. Yes, exactly. Notwithstanding the workload that was going on do you accept that, though, as well, at the, in, in spite of your tragedy of what must have been going on and the pressures within nursing homes? Comes as little consolation to you, I know. Do you accept it, though? Um, well, Neil, to be honest, I, like, we weren't allowed in to see my dad, OK? But still, the staff were able to go out and mingle, go to Penny's shop and go here and, there, and then go into nursing homes. Now, I know they have to have a life as well. But still, like, there were, how did the COVID get into the nursing home? If, if there was no visitors there. Mm. And I know there were short staff and they had agency staff there as well. But weren't they, they were moving COVID patients to nursing homes, weren't they? They were, they yeah. were. And like, my dad was after having a fall and he had to go to the CUH, we say, in the first wave of COVID. And when my dad came back from CUH, my dad had to be isolated for two weeks. They weren't yeah, careful in the first yeah. way. Do you know something? The more, the more I think about it, many of us have moved on from it, thankfully. Now, I know that there are people who still are very much chapter and verse, and that's their own business, and I, I accept that. And they take, some people take as many precautions now as they did back during the pandemic, right? I understand that. But for many of us, we've got on with our lives, right? And it isn't an issue for us, and we are dealing with other challenges. But you're left with the consequences, and you shouldn't be forgotten about Exactly, exactly, Neil. Yeah, we shouldn't be forgotten about, no. Like, as I said, we go to the grave, we don't know if it's my dad there. We don't know. There were so many deaths, so we don't know if it was him. Like, we had a closed coffin with a picture on top of it. We all had to sit two metres apart. Do you really worry about that? Yeah, that's playing yeah, on Yeah, I do, actually, I do, yeah, yeah. And there's so many questions left there unanswered. Like, why weren't we called sooner? Why weren't we told he was at end of life? Yeah, that's sad to wonder, is it actually the right body and the right coffin, the right dad exactly. and the right grave? Oh, that's very yeah. tragic. Yeah, we do need, yeah. the, more, the more I talk to store people in stories like yours, the more I can understand the need for it. Um, it's, it's just about being heard and having stories shared and learning from it, isn't it true, Sharon? It is, it is exactly, it is yeah. to be heard. Like, we don't want it to be brushed to one side, like, to know that we're a family and we're brushed to one side. We don't want that. I know. You're a great advocate on behalf of the family and indeed your late dad. Do stay in touch, Sharon. I will, of course, and thanks for listening. Not at all, as always. Pick up the phone anytime. Do get back to me. Stay listening, if you will, because uh, Regina joins me by phone. Regina Nolan. Regina, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, I wonder how much of that conversation with Sharon did you hear? 
Um, I heard all of it and uh, I'm fortunate to be uh, a part of Care Champions. Um, as you will realise, a lot of our members are traumatised and tormented by the deaths of their loved ones. And that is the need for a human rights-based public inquiry because people are standing at the foot of graves not realising and not knowing for certain if it's their loved one is in a coffin. Isn't that alarming? It is absolutely alarming, yes. And I think what we need to bear in mind is that we are an ageing population. So, as Frankie Byrne used to say, it may not be your problem today, but it could be someday. And I think... So we, people who don't know, that was an agony aunt on RTE years and years ago on radio that had um, um, answered people's problems by letter. Yeah. Okay. Correct, yeah. correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Um, but I think what we are also campaigning for is we want a care partner. We have been told that there may be other epidemics in the future and we want to be able to guarantee um, from a legal perspective that nobody will ever die alone again, that people will have a right of access to have a care partner with them at all times. And you did have an inquest into the passing of your late dad, Noel O'Sullivan. That is correct. Um, uh, In February of 2022, uh, the assistant state pathologist, Margaret Bolster, said that the cause of death of my father was traumatic injury uh, due to a fall. My father also suffered a broken wrist and a broken hip as a consequence of a a fall in a nursing home. And I have parts of that inquest before me now. He had numerous falls, didn't he? That's correct. He had 10 falls in total. Uh, He was a patient from March until October of 2020. That's just under seven months. And in seven months, he had 10 falls, Mm. some of which I was not aware of until I requested his records after his death. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the uh, Cork City Coroner's uh, verdict of accidental death. Um, uh, He's been a resident he was in. He was ninety-two years old at the time. Um, what, what were your issues? Were um, that okay? The, the amount of falls and not being was this during COVID? This was during COVID. Okay. Yes. Okay. And it was the lack of communication with the family. Is it because um, um, that's one? That's one of the issues. Yes, we were told that he had a fall at two o'clock in the morning, and I wasn't contacted the following morning until eight o'clock. Um, and there were um, numerous communications, miscommunications with um, with Southstock. Um, they weren't um, given the full extent of his injuries over the phone, so therefore his treatment was delayed and his admission to hospital was delayed. And sometimes the falls weren't observed by, say, medical staff. They may well have been observed by not care staff, but, but cleaning staff or, or, or what have you. And- That's- that's um, correct. And, and the falls, were they very serious, some of them? Um, in August of that year of 2020, I ended up in COH. My father had fallen coming in from the garden um, in out of a wheelchair. And he had um, um, a head injury and an injury to his arm that required treatment in COH. That was um, a head injury? Um, yes. He also had broken his left hip. He had broken no, his left he wrist and different falls. 
those the the fall where he broke his he had the brain injury he had the um, hip injury and he had the wrist injury they were the falls when he died those that three were the result of the same fall of one fall that yeah that correct, that, yes. that was actually the point I was making yeah. and and you weren't you weren't contacted for it says seven I hours. Was. That's correct, okay. yes. And uh, the cause of death on the death certificate was traumatic brain injury due to a fall, wasn't consequence it? consequence of a fall, that's correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. And how do you believe things should have been handled differently? Well, firstly, there was a note on my father's particular file stating that we were to be contacted in the, in the event of any, um, any emergencies, which didn't happen. Um... I suppose it's a very difficult issue to speak about because, as I said to you, we are very traumatised by mm. the deaths of people that were so precious to us mm. Mm. Um, because it was over a COVID period, mm. uh, because we didn't have access to people. Um, and again, that's where a care partner would, would have made a huge difference. And what would that be, a care partner? Explain that. A care partner would be a voice, essentially, for your loved one, that you would be a physical presence, that you would be able to liaise with staff. And um, I think if, if we had had a social worker uh, working in the homes, that that would have made a huge difference to the families because there would have been a point, a liaison person that we could have dealt with directly as opposed to trying to deal with staff. Um and also, I suppose, Neil, the whole thing that, you know, there are no ratios in nursing homes. If you're the owner of a preschool or a creche, you cannot open your door without the correct ratio mm. of um, staff to pupils. So why, therefore, if you take into account that, um, mm. Mm. if you take into account that um, a huge portion of our nursing homes, a larger portion of our nursing homes are privately owned than publicly owned, um, there's the law is is very grey really in relation to um, to those the those ratio you're describing people. yeah and and the yes. care and attention yes. that can be given yes. to people who are very vulnerable in the case yes. of your dad you you did say at the inquest I bitterly regret that the one time I wasn't responsible for my father's care myself he ended up suffering the most you say that you regretted the day that he crossed the threshold into a nursing home in the first place yes I do I was the primary carer for both my parents and um, I did everything in my power up until the point where I was just completely burned out and I think um, that it's a sad reflection that our elderly aren't given priority that they're not cared for in a way that they deserve that they they absolutely deserve coming to the end of their life you know I know I know were you there before he passed I, my father was transferred to CUH and he was operated on there and he died approximately a week later. I wasn't actually with him at the moment of his death, but I was fortunate in that I had been allowed to stay with him two nights before he died. And I was also with him when he was admitted to CUH. I know. And your poor ma'am yeah. died as well in the interim period when he was in care. He did indeed. No, that's yes, sad. They died Eileen, within wasn't it? That's correct. They died within 15 weeks of each other. Yes. Oh, dear yes. me. Yes. Um, and the reason I wanted to speak to you today was the same as Sharon. We really feel there's a need. We must have this human rights-based inquiry. We must have a care partner in place. 
We don't want these situations. We don't want people suffering. We don't want anybody to go through what we have gone through because it is traumatizing. It is traumatizing. Yes, yes. And yes. we need social justice. We yeah. absolutely need social justice for the people that are so, we love so dearly. And it's the circumstances of their passing. But with regards to your dad, let us remember him for a moment because I believe that the late Noel O'Sullivan was a very talented musician and uh, a show band musician, wasn't he? He was indeed. He used to play with a band called the Skyliners. Um, A lot of people who would have gone to Redmond's over the years would remember him. Um, Dad was a great character and um, he was known all over Cork. He played the accordion. This is a man who once won the lotto, won three and a half grand and gave it away to charity rather than keep it himself. That was the mark of the man, like. He did. He had a great social conscience. Didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He he had a great social conscience. Loved his snooker as well, I'm told, did he? Absolutely. He was a snooker shark. (laughs) He was. Bless him. Yeah. Let us us remember him with a smile then. Please God. In spite of everything else that happened. Listen, Regina, thank you for sharing the story. I do appreciate it. And let's see what time will bring. Not at all. Thank Take care. So, all the best. Back after the break. Text story six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. Oh eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Text story six eight one zero four one zero six. Siobhan. Hi. Just before I hear your story, this this yeah. will this will resonate with you. It's it's an email with regards to a dad who spent thirty four hours at uh, CUH. Right, he. Um, went in um, suffering from suspected angina, unstable angina, was sat in a chair for 36 hours um, Mm -hmm. uh, all through the night, um, uh, never slept or anything for 36 hours of that. Now, this emailer isn't isn't blaming, and and the family member says, I don't want to blame the nurses and doctors. I wouldn't want to work in their current conditions. I also understand there's a crisis in healthcare. All I'm asking for is a comfortable place for where people can rest while they're waiting to be treated doesn't have to be a ward, just a bed anywhere where medically vulnerable people are looked after rather than left sitting on a chair for hours on end. So that's a story that I got on Friday regarding the CUH and that 36-hour wait and counting for that person who was literally not sleeping and sitting in a chair. Was that, was that the reason why um, you didn't want to send your mam to hospital? Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, it was more so, like, I just wanted her to be looked after. But with my brothers, my four brothers, and they were adamant that she wasn't going in there because, like, we kept, we were there. We rotated constantly to be with her um, because it was just so traumatising for her. Um, When she was last in there, is it? When she was last in hospital. She was in there for Christmas. She was in for three weeks. But she went in because she fell. And she actually ended up getting a chest infection, a kidney infection. She was worse when she was in hospital. Um, with I infections mean, she, she that she picked up. A, yeah. With a fall. And, yeah. Yeah, and, okay. um, I know, sure, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. And it was your, your, your misfortunate dad who was put into nursing home care with yeah. dementia a few weeks ago. Oh, and and the ladies there now, I'm like, oh, you know, you'd be sick from listening to them about nursing homes. But um, my dad actually has dementia, so... When my mom was in hospital, we were trying to look after my father as well. So it was a very traumatizing, emotional time as well, you know. I know. But um, 
she came out then, she came out um, after Christmas and she was fine, everything was fine. And then she just kind of took sick and she got ill then over on Friday, Saturday. Um, and I was up there and she was just like, her colour was terrible. She was sick in her tummy and stuff and do, like Can that. we so, say what happened? Because I, I see on the screen that it was yeah, confusion well, over tablets. Like, yeah, yeah. She, God love her, like she there was booster packs between my dad's and my mom's tablets and she mistook them and mistaken them and she took his and stuff like that. Oh. But she, you know, it was fine. It was only kind of one or two doses and she was fine. Do you know? As yeah, in, yeah, yeah. She'd be okay and stuff. But, um, so she was sick in her tummy and stuff like that. So we rang the ambulance and, I mean, they were amazing. They came out. They couldn't have done enough for her. They were absolutely fantastic. So reassuring and everything. Um, now, they wanted her to go into hospital, but we were like, no, because of the situation the last time and stuff like that. We were like, no, look, we'll, we'll stay with her. We'll monitor her. And they were okay with that. Are you sure they were okay? They, they didn't say that we are recommending well, that she go because it could get worse if she doesn't, no? They weren't really. Like, they did her blood pressure and they did everything like that. And they were like, she's actually fine. It was kind of like she'd have to kind of ride it out herself kind of a thing. But yeah. like... They were like, look, she's okay, she'll be all right. And your and fear was that she'd get worse in there or pick something up in there? or exactly. did, Yeah. yeah. I but what my thought was that she'd have to go in and she'd have to sit on a chair for how long? That, again, I know, I know. Wouldn't I know. be able for it, do you know, know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. So she, she's 81, I understand all of that. So what happened next? So actually, they were like, look, we'll have to call a doctor out just to make sure and whatever. And we were like, that's fine. The doctor came out, checked her over. He was like, do you, like, you know, saying to my mum are you sure you don't want to go and she was like please like I don't want to go in I don't want to go in so they, he was fine about that they left so I was there all day with her and everything and um, about 7 o'clock I noticed like her colour started changing again and I thought I got a bit panicky and she did as well and I was like oh do you know they, and the paramedic said to me if you feel anything ring us straight away like there's no problem just ring us straight away so I was like oh what will I do what will I do so I think maybe out of panic from me as well, I rang them. And now they came out. They were, as the same thing, they were lovely, not a bother. They came in, they checked her blood pressure, her sugars, everything like that. Um, they asked her again, would she go in? Um, now, I have to say about my mom. My mom is old school. She was ashamed of her life, the fact that there was an ambulance outside the door. You know, we're not, we don't ring the ambulance all the time or anything like this, you know. So um, the paramedic said, look, we have to ring the doctor again to come out just to make sure you know it's protocol I suppose you yeah know, I have a kind of an idea as to how this ended up the way it ended up you didn't yeah. there was no South Dock visit or anything or no 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 no, no, okay. no. so okay. um, yeah. anyway he came out again now I left him in the door and when he came in I knew straight like before even saying hi or anything I said to him oh I'm sorry because I knew by his demeanour that he was really annoyed and um, so he came in anyway and he was like, yeah, like, what's the problem? And I was like, look, you told me to ring if I thought that she was getting worse and whatever. Now, every time she kind of sat up, her blood pressure went down and stuff like that. Now, he did all the checks on her and stuff, but he was so cross. He was so angry. He turned around and he was like, you're wasting taxpayers' money. This is, this would cost about 2,000 euro. This is ridiculous. What would cost 2,000 euro? The uh, ambulance call-outs, is it? Yeah call out and that my mom was in the bed sick and she was apologising for being sick you know he could have called me out into the hall or he could have said something but this was right in front of my mom who worked all her life reared a family hard you know what I mean my father's just gone into a nursing home she's absolutely heartbroken 
you know, she wanted to look after my dad, but she couldn't do it because she's sick herself. And this is the way she was treated. You know what I mean? Like, we never, she's never that sick, you know, it was only a fall in December and she got sick this time. But he, the doctor said you're wasting day. taxpayers' money because you've called out an ambulance twice and she should yeah. be in hospital, is it? Well, like, he wasn't, he, he wasn't adamant about her going into hospital. He was just kind of like, and what you want me to do for you? Like, what you want to do? You know, I suppose I was panicky with the way she was and because of her age and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I, I suppose I haven't been in that situation because my mom. But you'd expect them to be a bit more... Look, I can understand that there's other, you know, sicker people out there and stuff like that, but I was just thinking her age and everything like that and they told me, you know, to ring. And when he left, like the paramedic actually turned around to him and was like, are you going? Like wanted him to leave. And when he left, he said to me, he was like, I am so sorry. I'm just so sorry yeah. for what happened there. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the ambulance, the paramedics and the ambulance waited and everything for the doctor to arrive? Yeah, but it was very fast. All right, was, no, I know. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a long time waiting or anything like that. It was, it was, you know, they were there and they were in and out like, you know. But, You're um, wasting taxpayers' money. The two trips of yeah. the ambulance cost two, two grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Are the, day, are the yeah. days gone when someone's local GP would just do a house call? Are they gone? Yeah, they're gone. And like, I just think the elderly people are just being failed miserably. You know, it's just so sad that they, you know, they're... You know, well, well, I mean, I understand, and I bet you there will be some people listening to this who feel that, you know, calling the ambulance on two occasions was not maybe the, the proper thing yeah. to do. I, you, know, I, I, you know, people will be, will be critical of that. But what I'm reading here is that we have elderly people who are afraid of going to hospital, and that's tragic. But now I don't think I would ring an ambulance anymore now, you know. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably ring South Dock or something. Like, I'd be very slow now to look for help, you know. Because I don't know, just you'd be half afraid now to do it. Yeah. Well, the paramedics and the ambulance crew—they were—they were very compassionate and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they. When he left, when the paramedic was leaving, he said, "Siobhan, if you feel during the night that she's sick or you know whatever, um, you ring us again. You know that we're here to serve the people." That's what he said to me. He was like, "You know, your mom is a great mom, and you know we help her and whatever and." You ring if you need us again. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I understand that, and and it's a, it's it's admirable, you know, in in the way that the paramedics dealt with that. But others would suggest, well, I mean, unless she was absolutely critical, that the ambulance would be needed elsewhere. But they didn't even think about that. They just said, okay, we're here for you if you need yeah. us. Call again. Yeah. I suppose yeah. the ambulances end up doing the job of other sections of the medical profession that should be doing it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I yeah. agree with that. And is she improving? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's fine now. Like, my brother has stayed the night with her and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, she's fine now. She's, she's, she's weak. She's very weak and stuff like that. I suppose it's her age and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, she's fine. But I just thought, you know, just a bit... It wasn't a great bedside manner, that doctor's bedside manner. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, look after yourself and look after your mother. Appreciate you taking the call. Text on that, text 0868104106. Just finally, for I love you and leave you for the day that's in it, uh, certainly you can pick up on any of the conversations we've had this morning. We can continue tomorrow. You can also email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Um, I was travelling, he says, to y'all yesterday around 11 o'clock in the morning. There were five guards and three squad cars at the roundabout. Not a guard can be found in the city centre. You couldn't make this stuff 
up with regards to speed checks. An interesting text, of course, but bear in mind that speed kills. But there did seem to be quite an amount of cards and indeed three different squad cars all in the same area, unless it was something unassociated and unrelated to speed. But beware, lads, beware, because we have a brand new road to the best of my knowledge. And I'm open to correction on this. The new Mallow, or sorry, the new McCroom bypass is 100 kilometres, right? For fear that you guys might think that it's 120, like the uh, road coming in from Ballancolic or what have you, which is 120 for a period of time. It's 100 on the McCroom bypass. I'm, I'm 99.999% sure of that. But there is a speed check there quite regularly. They have those ramps up on the side of them. You won't see them, talking from experience. You won't see them until they're on top of you. And if, if they've got the gun, they'll catch you. So be very, very careful because already there's a headline that made, uh, is that uh, Cork Bio, I think? It says, crazy driver caught speeding at 172 kilometers on icy stretch of the new McCroom bypass. Now, that's a seriously reckless driver. Um, the first section of the 22-kilometer road opened to traffic on December 9th, and there's a speed limit of 100 kilometers. So they will throw the book at this fella doing 172. For those that do 105 and 112 or 115, they'll probably throw the book at you as well. I don't know what I was doing. I think it was slightly over the 100, all right. Whatever way I looked. You know, there we go. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. So I'm just wondering whether I'll get something on the mat. But I'm only passing it on. I've clearly... There'll only be very few people that would do 172, and that is reckless and it's dangerous. Throw the book all you like, but just be aware of it. In case you think it's 120, it ain't. Back in the morning, have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.